0: Thank you. Stay in the situation that frightens you. Do
1: you love me? I can't do this. The ground is burning.
2: The ground is not burning.
1: Nature is Satan's church.
2: Do you know what you're saying?
1: You shouldn't underestimate either.
0: Tell me what you think is supposed to happen in the woods.
3: I'm, I'm ready. Everybody Are ready?
2: ready? Yeah. All right. All right. I'm going to bring it on home then. I've
1: never done
2: this before. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is... Wilhelm H- Defomo, baby. Defomo. <laughs> Hate it when I get Defomo. Always yeah. want to be included in the action. Oh, shit. Um and with Willem DeFomo, we've got his uh partner in crime, uh, Jeffrey which, Owens. Yeah, oh yeah. But also
3: And our our residential I'm sorry. Our, our 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 residential uh host here.
2: We needed to get a little female perspective on the this wife. one.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the yeah wife.
2: Right. We the felt wife. like we needed to have a feminine perspective on tonight's movie. But also, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, Jeffrey Owens. Yeah, you know, I'm obviously way more important.
3: Dude, apparently, yeah. just, apparently say, wait, that's what I think.
2: Wait, wait, Way to step in when we were trying to introduce the, the <laughs> yeah. female. Starting it off right. Just like, hey, I mean, what, again. Hey, we're,
3: why don't you calm down? A man's talking
2: here, We're, we're hitting watch it watch off <laughs> appropriately with tonight's episode for <laughs> the man that's dominating the conversation.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I love ah. it. That's great. No, but seriously, we have a special guest tonight. Um, Jeffrey Owens. Thanks for stopping on. Yeah.
3: Thank you so much for coming on. I, and the entire time that we've known each other, all we talk about is just like shit horror movies or good ones too. And actually you've, you cued us into a lot of movies that we would have never checked out.
1: Yeah. Like, Ramekin. Yeah. Ramekin. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah. Bitchin. Anything for Jackson. That was really oh, yeah, good. That's, oh, that's good. a great movie. Um, So super stoked to have you ever since I've been, uh, on this show i've, I've wanted to bring bring you on as a guest i thought it'd be right in your wheelhouse
4: yeah we've been talking about it for a long time and i'm glad we're finally making it happen here it's uh definitely the exactly in my wheelhouse i've been on a couple of podcasts and i think if this one i feel more at home
2: yeah well and appropriately enough you're wearing a suspiria hoodie so um yeah i
4: see your poster in the back am. there yeah
2: one of my multiple uh, Suspiria posters I have in the house
4: Yeah, I've got one, I don't know if you can see it if I move my head. It's kind of behind <laughs> this air freshener can. Oh yeah. Ooh, that's <laughs> one I ha- I have that one in nice. the living room.
2: Nice. That's like the, of the uh the bloody female figure dripping yeah. uh from the the font. Yeah. Did you, that you one's just great. like
1: the newer one of
3: that? The remake? The
1: Did remake? you watch the remake? Did you guys watch it? I will not watch
4: it. I I saw it twice in theaters. Uh, Suspiria is my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to like it. So I saw it once and didn't like it and thought yeah. maybe I just have these preconceived things going in because I love the original and that's what I want to see. So I saw it again, knowing what it was. And yeah, I feel like there's a a good version of that movie if if somebody went in and cut 50 minutes out of it. I mean, good is unfair. I just didn't like it. It's just not my cup of tea. Sure.
2: And And that's how I just, I just assume I'm always front loaded with modern remakes of stuff that I think is, you know, shouldn't be remade that the director, the studio at hand, they're going to fuck it up. So I just, I just trust my gut on these things. I'm just like, you know, if it's on while I'm at somebody's house Or if I'm really that bored, I'll give it the time of day. But I'm really not going to really go out of my way to check it out. Because I feel like I hear enough people that I trust that say, no, it's not worth it. (laughs) That I'm like, well, there's plenty of other shitty movies that I know I'm going to have a good time watching. I'm not going to watch one that I'm going to probably be angered by. Because I feel like it's it's disrupting the source material.
1: It's Shia LaBeouf's girlfriend is like the main character in it. Yeah, I don't know.
3: I've I've never seen Uh, Dakota Johnson.
4: Right? Oh, yeah. Dakota Johnson is that is that Shia LaBeouf's girlfriend?
3: I that that name sounds familiar.
4: Okay,
1: I thought it was maybe,
4: but yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I didn't know that. Um. Yeah. So. She's great. The, the acting is great in it. I, I, I honestly can't put my finger on it. The acting is great. I I'm a big Radiohead fan and Tom York does the score. Yeah, great job. Uh, the directing seems on point. Uh, I, I don't I don't know why I can't put my finger on it. But I just I don't like it.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, it's, that's how I feel about a lot of sh- like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know? when they make these high budget remakes of something that you just needed one Halloween, same deal. Yeah. Total recall, total recall, um, red Dawn, any of these fucking, it's like, just leave it alone. It's, it does not need, uh, a refresh for a modern audience, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's some movies that just would straight piss me off. Like we talk all the time, Krista and I talk all the time about if they were to try and remake Cujo, so yep. much of that movie. Would I think not they make are any- remaking it. No. I think
4: I heard they're no remaking way. it. The one I'm waiting for is Jaws.
3: Yeah, <laughs> sure. I yeah.
4: feel like it's inevitable.
3: <laughs> but the thing about something like Cujo, it's like the only reason that movie can work is because they didn't have modern advents like a cell phone. You know, I mean, I guess you could spin it that they're in some no service zone or something.
1: Could you imagine they have those like slow-closing button doors? <laughs> you have a slow-closing just... Chrysler minivan
3: button right door? In. I'm trying to get away from a fucking Soapart. hellacious dog. Yeah.
2: Well, the thing with Jaws, too, and not to get way off subject before we even start talking about the movie tonight is just what made it work, a little bit. as with a lot of those older horror movies when they were utilizing some sort of animatronic... Or, you know, they had some sort of, like, creature that they had designed and developed for the movie. Well, what made the movie good was the breakdown and, like, malfunctioning of the creature. So the director had to come up with inventive ways to represent the horror and terror aspect of the movie. So, like, in Jaws, you don't really see... You don't see the shark, hardly ever. Right. Because of that. So what some modern director is going to try and do because at this point, how many different iterations of a shark horror movie do we have?
3: Dude, it's so out many
2: So they're going to want to show the fucking shark. And that's not you're missing the point. It's like, we don't want Deep Blue Sea. Yeah.
1: No. It's Which the, is a ridiculous
2: the... fucking movie. We actually talked about it on this show uh, because my whole co-host loved those type of like shitty horror movies and it's not really my thing, but I was like, you know what? This is, you know, a cooperative thing. So right. we watched it, and I actually enjoyed it quite a bit more than I thought I would. But it's still, you know, a crappy movie.
3: Well, right. I mean, it comes down to there's – it's like my argument with, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. You're not going to extrapolate anything more from that story that you want to know, that you really want to see. It kind of ruins it. Or Halloween. I don't – You know, time and time again, we bring up the Rob Zombie shit where they, like, want to put some rhyme and a reason to why Michael is. It's like, just leave it alone. Leave it a mystery.
2: Yeah, as I say, because we've had that discussion a few times. There's some movies where having backstory works. Sure. If you're good about it. But a lot of times, the backstory just bloats the movie and becomes an unnecessary kind of distraction to move in the plot along. So, you know. Anyways, so let's reel it back in here tonight, Jeff. You you are the one. Do you prefer Jeff or Jeffrey? Or does it doesn't matter.
4: uh Either or, Jeffrey. If I have to pick. Okay, so Jeffrey.
2: Sorry, I wanted to make oh, sure that totally I was totally fine. You know, I was being respectful here. Um. So since so you're the guest, you brought this movie to us, and we're gonna be talking about 2009's um, Antichrist. This is our first Lars von Trier movie, and to be honest. There's a reason for that, because Lars von Trier, to me, is kind of highbrow in certain ways. He's an art film director. And it's not that we shy away from talking about that stuff on this show from time to time. But there is a kind of wheelhouse that we try to stay within um, with Midnight Flicks. So I'm glad when people bring these movies to the table, because they're movies that I enjoy talking about. But it's just something that typically we... Don't discuss. We try and kind of keep somewhat within the realm of camp. The thing with this movie, though, is like in a lot of ways, this could be described as kind of like an art house exploitation movie. That
3: I—that's how I—it falls right in that camp to me. So when I'm watching this movie, it—it's I don't I can't think of anything else like this movie, really. I I mean, can't wait
1: till they remake it.
3: The amount of (laughs) just bestiality in it. Yeah, right. Until they remake it, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. But again, like, that's not to say, again, we've talked about movies that I think have reached a certain echelon or, like, garnered some sort of more, like, critical praise and reception. Like, I talked about Manhunter in the first season. Um, We talked about Terminator because John wanted to talk about it so much. Yeah. So we talk about movies like that. But in general... These were kind of outliers. So, um, yes. But,
3: but I I, I want to add there, you know, this is kind of the conclusion of our self implosion theme month.
2: That's true.
3: And I mean, what a fucking haymaker as far as self implosion stories go.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. uh, uh, to be totally frank, uh, I was struggling trying to figure out what to bring to the table here and uh Brandon came in clutch and threw a couple of suggestions my way and and he initially said Antichrist and it that was that was instantly I was like yes that's that's the one I fucking love this movie uh like was just said there's nothing like it uh yeah, so so and and I had it took me a minute to realize how this is a self-implosion film and I'm right. I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around that one and it'll be interesting to explore everyone's thoughts on that I think. Yeah, yeah. totally.
2: Um, Would you like to give a synopsis of the movie?
4: Sure, yeah. Uh, So again, we're covering the uh, 2009 Lars von Trier or Lars Trier, as I have just learned, film (laughs) Antichrist. Uh, And it's a movie about a couple who uh, loses their child during an act of lovemaking and goes on to uh, – they go to a retreat, a cabin in the woods that they have to – Undergo some therapy. The, the uh, man, the husband in the couple is a therapist. And that's, I, I don't really know uh, what to say about it beyond their uh, Bizarre things ensue. Sure.
3: Yeah. Um, I think that you can leave it there because really, uh, I think that there's a lot of perspectives you could take from what unfolds.
4: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and before I, I guess I, I didn't mention uh, the movie stars Charlotte Gainsbourg and Willem Dafoe uh-huh. and uh, a child that I don't think yeah. has ever been in anything else. It's it's very very Storm. limited cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: It's it's and, and in that sense, it very <laughs> much know, plays right. out almost like like a theater piece. Um, that's exactly you know? what
1: it's theatrical. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what
2: Krista was saying. It's a. Two- yeah. It seems
1: like a grief story. You know greek story like a chat tra- no,
2: no, no no like a, oh Greek, yeah story. sure i agree yeah but but also i mean i know you didn't intentionally mean to say it but it is kind of like a greek tragedy in a certain way yeah. it right could be well, could be seen that, that way absolutely
4: yeah i so, mean there's there's specific greek references within the film right mm. there's a lot of references to mythology
2: occultism the supernatural um and witchcraft obviously that's one of the main um, subject matters that it's that it's kind of discussing is you know this through line between um, witchcraft and the condemning of wit witches in the sixteenth century, and this through line to now as far as like tracing what would be considered contemporary misogyny, sure, and its manifestations. So yeah. Um, Did you want to talk about any sort of like numbers or the critical reception? Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
4: Not numbers. Uh, So uh, I I think, you know, it's always a little bit murky looking this stuff up, but from what I gathered, the budget was $11 million. Yeah. And it seemed to me that the gross was 7.4 million. Uh, I did gather that opening weekend in the box office was 404,000. So, uh, you know, Maybe Imagine no.
2: that a movie like this wasn't blowing the doors right? off of the theaters. <laughs> right? uh, <you> know, <laughs> I, I know,
4: uh, as is often the case with his films at uh, at the festivals, what is it? Can yeah, uh, uh, numerous people got up in numerous showings of it and walked out of the theater and. Uh, of course, many critics have panned it as utter trash and asked for him to explain himself, <laughs> uh, to which I think he has said, that's absurd. Why should I have to explain my art? Wow. Totally a reasonable response as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Uh, and, but yeah, I think over time it's, it's found its audience and a, a lot of people have, uh, critically acclaimed the film.
1: Did did Melancholia receive such critical like hmm. abuse or whatever?
4: Melancholia.
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know.
2: I think that's just a general Lars von Trier reaction. He's just yeah, kind of. like oh, he God, has God, this. God. Yeah, he has this way of bringing um, the worst out of critics. <laughs> he, he's a
4: provocateur. He's, he's a, a self-proclaimed provocateur in the Danish tradition. Yeah, but, uh, I I don't know. I don't know if. Uh, if Melancholia was so poorly received, I could see that one going a little better than.
1: Well, yeah, of that
3: other one's like movies. less
1: extreme.
3: Yeah, I feel yeah. Like. yeah. yeah I would. I would say the same with like the house that Jack
4: built. That or definitely something. was was very poorly you know, received. That's crazy to me. Uh, I, I, it's amazing. I love that movie. Uh, I,
3: I don't understand why somebody could not appreciate, you know, all of the ideas going on. And just the way they're rolled out in such a, I don't know, fucked yeah. up way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I,
4: I think not everybody's cut from the same cloth and uh, in the same way that maybe you play uh, an, a napalm death or anal cunt record for sure. your average person and they're like, fuck no. <laughs> That's yeah. going to happen with, a, with one of his movies.
2: Sure. Well, I'm going to say this much in regards to the commentary that was just made. Two things. I don't like The House of built either. <laughs> what? <laughs> Before you start getting into it with me, because I'm ah. going to button it up right there. I don't like it. Yeah, that's fine. Number two, I watched this movie in the theaters, and I almost walked out as well. Really? really? Wow. And I held off until that final act, final, like, third, fourth act... And I've told you this before. Then it clicked. Once it started to you know, really get gnarly, then I was like, okay, you got my attention. And then I watched it, and I was like, okay. And then I was able to reflect more on the previous portion of the movie, and it started to make more sense to me. Um, <clears throat> when I watch it this time... Because I don't think I'd watched it since actually that time I saw it in the theater. Um, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know why I like thought this movie sucks so bad before when I watched it in the theater. Um, uh, so, and I'm not gonna get too much in my opinion about it like and, uh, right now until we you know get into the discussion. But yeah, I also was like, I, I wasn't a here's the thing, I wasn't offended by the movie and like a you know I was like, oh, I never. I was like. This movie yeah. wow. is boring fucked, and pretentious. I can see, see that. I this can is see a, that.
3: This is a great movie to talk about because, I mean, in the in Camp Krista and Brandon over here, and then Camp Jeff and Camp Adam, we have three basically very different ideas about it, um, which is cool. I mean, that's what I would prefer to you know talk about is something where you can actually have a – back and forth discussion like this is great
2: yeah well and that's the thing i'm saying like i i do like this movie i appreciate it for what it is like i came around to it it just was like i've walked out on very few movies and it was one of those where i was just like i was on the edge of my seat for not the reasons you would think
1: well (laughs) what did you guys classify this as like an art uh Exploitation or whatever. Art.
2: Yeah. yeah yes. That's yeah. What it yeah. Is. It's an art so, house take on an exploitation movie.
1: Yeah, so I could see why that would make you want to walk out of a movie kind of. Like especially yeah. if it's like a little bit slow, like black I, and white. Oh.
2: I suppose, but that's the thing. It's not like I'm not that's not like something that I'm interested in because I I like plenty of movies that fall under that rubric. I just like it was not I think it's also because I just in general was not familiar with Lars von Trier's like repertoire as a director. I
4: think this was my first von Trier movie. Yeah, uh, and and I think it's worth noting that uh, I I had a similar, not necessarily similar experience, but I had not watched the film in a long, long time, and yeah. only saw it once, and it was not too long after it came out, mm. but. I find that it's a movie that really wants you to to rewatch it. So, yeah, it's interesting that both of us went so long without doing so because uh, it it is more engaging uh, the second sure. time, and and certainly in that third act, things. Uh, shift and hit fever pitch so right. i think if anybody sticks it out to that point they're going to have some kind of reaction to the film whether it be positive or negative absolutely i mean with us this is
3: the first von Trier i i saw and we watched it on our second date which is um <laughs> brutal i don't i don't know a good maybe date. kind of ironic or something <laughs> but um yeah i love you I love you, baby. Yeah, don't that, ever-
4: that's how you form a bond because <laughs> watch a Von Trier movie. It's either it keeps going or it's over when the Don't discussion ever quit me, baby. Is- <laughs> no, that's true. It is a good yeah, litmus exactly. test. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So um the, I don't yeah, know. Like, but let's let's not again, watch that again, right. <laughs> Much like you guys, I haven't watched it since our second date. No mm. real reason. I mean, I liked it a uh, uh, on on the on the first watch but there is so much like you said it wants to be watched again there's so much to um kind of suss out through the movie
1: yeah it's like an emotionally exhausting movie it's very,
3: yeah. Yeah, it's super grating Absolutely. on your emotions i mean like for you to say that you were bored by it i i mean upon watching it now through like those of you know you guys know me and kind of where we've been, where we've come from. This movie was oh, yes. heartbreaking from the very first scene, you know, like I take away different things from it than, than you might, Adam, um, yeah. just from like a personal stance and sure. you know, my experiences and stuff. I don't find any of it to be boring just because like that level of grief, I think is really rolled out. Very surgically, precisely to how it feels to be in that kind of situation Um, to an extent, obviously. But um, it's it's really interesting that you'd say that you felt it was boring until a certain part. To me, I'm like, fuck, man, when is the other shoe going to (laughs) drop,
2: you know?
1: Yeah, other yeah.
2: shoe that was put on the wrong foot. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, we got, a, we got a little foreshadowing here. Well,
1: hey, and
3: before it's, we get too far, you would yeah. said cut from the same cloth, which reminds me about our sponsor.
2: Mm. You know? Yeah, we, we cannot forget our sponsor. <laughs> our beloved sponsor, every episode, keeps the gears turning here at Midnight Flicks. And before we get into the good, the bad, and the questionable, uh, Brandon, we talk about this movie a little deeper. Who, in fact, is our sponsor for this evening?
3: Uh, our sp- well, I mean, many of us in the world, uh, you know, guy talk here, but many of us might know this. Uh, Daddy Willem's so long stunt dog. You know, for those times, for those guys, guys, listen, when you got a meat hammer that's just, it's too ripping, you know, and it, that it makes you self conscious. You throw this bad guy in there, wham, bam, so long, you know, see you later, Ripper. Here we go. You, you got to bust out the mini mags here. What
2: you're trying to tell me here, <laughs> if, if I'm hearing you correctly here, Brandon, this uh, revolutionizing product doesn't in fact elongate as a prosthesis yeah. your male member, but it in fact, shortens it yeah. so you don't come across intimidating to your other uh, male counterparts. Is hey. that
3: what I'm hearing here correctly? Uh, yeah. I mean, you got a five by five, you know.
2: It's, oh, so, uh, it's so you reduce your 10 by 10 to a five by five. Y- yeah, you
3: cripple her down, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. I mean, not so much to uh, the point of a burl of wood crippling, but yeah, you do bring yourself down in stature to, uh, you know, not offend.
1: So it looks good in black and white.
2: So it looks good in black and white. There you go. Fantastic. Now, here's my question, though. I know some of us out there are wondering, what kind of side effects does uh, Willem Dafoe's uh, DONG removal device, uh, what does it actually do? Well, Is there any anything we need to be concerned about? No, no no, no real side effects. Um, okay. You
3: may experience that you ejaculate blood profusely mm. at oh, some point. Oh, my
1: God, I forgot about that.
3: Yeah, well, you know, uh, I mean, there's things to look out for, but hey— So long, so long problems, because after you take this thing, you won't care about anything. You won't care if there's a fucking stone wheel jammed through your leg. Mm -hmm.
1: Side effects include your kid might die during... Side effects might include that your child might fall out of a window uh, because
4: you're having ravenous sex. Foxes may talk to you.
3: Foxes may talk to you. Uh, Your wife may threaten and... You know, go through with cutting off her uh, pleasurable parts. Mm. But, um, and and the aforementioned, you know, shooting of sanguine from your member. But, so It looks long, good on a dress. That's right. You bet your sweet ass it does. So long, problems. I don't care.
2: So, if you're listening out there, Eric Clapton, this device would have <laughs> came in real handy if you would have had it 20 plus years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we... To to this day, we, we would have probably been hearing some crooning tunes by Connor Clapton himself, but unfortunately, or, or, was for, no, or fortunately, you know, there, there was no "So Long, Dong" available at that moment. Sure. So, so thank you very much to our sponsor. Um, anything else before we move on to uh, talking about this movie a little more? Don't ever quit me, baby. <laughs> Fantastic. And with that, we're going to bring it into the it. good, the bad, and the questionable.
3: You learned something, didn't you?
0: (coughs) You did beautifully. You did beautifully.
2: We always hand it off to our guests first. So Jeffrey, if, if if you want to go ahead and leave the discussion here
4: a little more. All right. Yeah. Uh, by all means. Yeah. So. Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, the good, the good's pretty easy for yeah. me on this movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, as, as questionable as it may be, this is one of my favorites. Uh, I, I think it's, it's a really good length. Yeah. Uh, you know, to piggyback off of the stunt dog. I was, I was going to say, no yeah. pun intended. Yeah. Or- it's, a, it's a really good length. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't it's overstay. It's Yeah, not no, too girthy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just the right length and girth.
2: We don't want to intimidate other movies. No, That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah I, I think it, you know, each act is, is real quick and, and wraps up right when you want it to. And yeah, it, it, it a lot of, uh, these sort of arty films do tend to go on for quite a bit longer. You know, uh, uh Tarkovsky is referenced mm-hmm. here. And while I don't feel his films are too long, they are often longer. The, the ones yeah. that I've watched are, are upwards of two and a half hours. So, uh, and I don't really see where this film would need to be more than the roughly hour and a half that it is. Mm-hmm. So,
3: Um, yeah, you know, with that it kind of leans into what we were talking about about this kind of reading like a play. You know, I mean, obviously there's chapters. We see that through the movie, but
4: it's like there's acts. You know, mm-hmm. like the yeah, it, it's essentially three acts,
3: right? Like and and just 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 in the scenes where it's like they're on the train or the I can't remember, and he's trying to hypnotize that whole st- bit. You know, where it goes through. Um, her they don't have names they just credit
4: as him yeah, and her yeah he he and she i believe and, and
3: nick the child is the only yeah. one that has a so she her uh the hypnosis bit it's like that is one closed um section of the movie you know and it's, With- it's these little bits um of of their
4: relationship to one another building to what we finally see Um, Which uh, before we move past that train scene, uh, I don't know if anyone else has seen Solaris before. Yeah. I Uh, love Solaris. uh, In the commentary, uh, Von Trier mentions that that train scene was meant to mimic the uh, scene in Solaris on the highway Mm. toward the beginning when it at the beginning of the film. He, well, there's a long extended highway scene where they take that, basically, and put it in place of traveling to space. And that's what he was attempting to do with that train scene. That's what he uh, said. That's cool little He has fact. a train scene yeah. in, Nymph-
1: in Nymphomaniac. There And there's three acts in that movie, too. Yeah, it is right. lengthier, yeah. though, and it is girthier. It's, like, much <laughs> longer, like, winded or whatever. Maybe it doesn't need to be that long.
4: Yeah, especially if you're watching the director's cut, talking about, I think... God. five hours or so. These fucking movies. Five hours.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus that's a three-parter <laughs> that's for full, sure. Full commitment.
1: God yeah, damn, that's no quickie. No.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this movie takes place uh, initially in Seattle, right? Also, metropolis of depression. Yeah. So that's fitting that um, you know the tragedy begins in a, a pretty tragic uh, part of the country. I. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah that that whole intro scene, um, I don't know maybe it's a little, maybe it's kind of run its course this kind of thing. But you know you have the um, symphony playing and this like really visceral sex scene going on. You know it's the combination of of the the black and the white. You know it's like that. Not I don't mean black and white because so she seen as in black and white, but the um the the roses and the thorns, right? You've got this thing that should be passionate and intimate and powerful in a positive way, mixed with a child making his way out of fucking, you know, three story third story window or whatever. And and with the symphony going, that whole thing resonates with me. I think that that's yeah was done really well.
1: And the, the reliance on stills in the, in the beginning, it's like all super photographic and there's just like a little bit of a twinkling of movement, but it's still like a story. Yeah. Like it starts out like a storybook.
4: Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. yeah. The, the narrative element is super strong in that, in that opening scene. There's a lot of movies I watch, you know, talking about Tarkovsky again, where you get these uh, long drawn out moments and maybe don't you just find yourself scratching your head and it could still be enjoyable, but you walk out of it saying what, what just happened? I don't understand any of that. And that couldn't be further from the case here. It's very, very clear what's going on. It's really uh, executed quite well in that way. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think what it's
2: also trying to set up with the movie, because clearly one of the big takeaways from this movie for me is that it's thematically very dense as far as like picking out, like what all Trader is trying to uh, say symbolically with uh, this story. But I mean, right off the bat, what it it's trying to show is basically what's called the, the Thanatos, like the death drive sort of like impulse in, in humans. That's also, tie it in with sex there's that theme of sex and death being kind of like represented you know as dualities of one another so like you you know you have this child uh who is being driven by whatever sort of internal inertia to just fly out a window
3: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah
2: so so there's that but also you know it's obviously it's trying to like you know i think talk about like you know this uh i don't know it's 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 putting you immediately on your back foot and unnerving you by showing things that in many people's minds they're trying to compartmentalize and that's adult sex and a child like you know these things aren't supposed to be intertwined yeah you know that um you know, that closely.
3: Yeah. And I guess that's, (laughs) that's what I'm trying to get at with, you know, these two opposite forces being sandwiched together in one scene with the backdrop of, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know what that classical number of that piece was, but it just, it works really well to set up a very ugly picture of what you're about to watch. You know.
1: Probably Wagner or something
4: like that. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it oh. said it in the booklet, and I I meant to write that down and I didn't. Um,
2: it's actually
4: it's an Italian aria. Um, oh,
2: damn. And I uh, go ahead and keep talking, and yeah. I'll, I'll look I, it up.
4: You know, it's interesting to point out that thing about sex and a human child because that really is the central thread of what goes through almost the entire movie. Yeah. If you think about it, that's that's the whole thing like anytime sex enters into the picture she has this sort of visceral reaction now I, I wouldn't necessarily say it actually that way it's not always a reaction sometimes it's the other way she she wants to have sex to escape the thoughts of the child
1: mm-hmm. yeah there's, uh, a viol- and, there's a violence to it for sure yeah
4: though. and she's sort of caught in this loop where like the sex leads right back to those thoughts yeah because that's what was going on. Right.
2: Right. It's always triggering. So she's kind of in this,
4: uh, you know,
2: endless feedback loop. <laughs> so, exactly. And you know,
3: to me that, that is the exact reason that this struck me as a implosion kind of story. It's because with as much as you're trying to escape and trying to um, not rationalize, but just cope with grief She keeps bringing herself back in. It's like you're addicted
4: to the tragedy in a way, you know? Well, well, and, and, okay. So we're getting into something interesting here because I definitely see that. I also see, uh, the, he, Defoe character as your self imploder, because he's, he's trying, like, the whole time you know i've got i've got all these notes like in in chapter one in in grief she's in the hospital and the doctor says my grief pa- her grief pattern is atypical mm-hmm. and he's all arrogant about it saying oh yeah. i've treated 10 times as many patients as him there's nothing atypical about your grief and is just really forcing the situation uh Even though everything is telling him, like, let this let this be, let let her deal with it her way. He's like, no, this is how you have to deal with this problem. I'm going to make it this way.
1: Right. His therapy is like so patronizing.
4: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And she just like comes back like so venomous every time. And and like
3: we've talked about on a couple of these other episodes, in this this theme that we've got going at him, it's one's hubris and their own arrogance that typically draws in this like self-imploding situation, you know? Um, because I, you're right, Jeff. It's, it's not just she, it's not just her. It's, it's him too.
4: Yeah. For for me, it's more him than her. Uh, you know, if, if anyone represents the author of this film, it's her. Right. and, and, he is destroying her. I think, mm-hmm. I think he's, he's the destructive force in this film and he's the one that is driving all the negativity forward and she's just gasping for error the whole time. Right.
3: Yeah. Um, I think that resonates. Uh, but, um, yeah, his, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that goes into my like good. It kind of goes without saying, fans. obviously the acting is great. The dialogue is excellent. I mean, just watching him in that first scene you're talking about in the hospital, and you know, well, you're not a doctor. You're not like a licensed, you know, doctor, whatever she says. And goes, yeah, well, after seeing the way that your doctor is, I'm glad that I'm not. Like, yeah. God, what? Yeah, you just
4: want to punch him.
3: No (laughs) shit.
4: Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah uh to to hop back on that that good uh something we touched on earlier the the simplicity of the film it it being a sort of two-hander play like film a a lot of my favorites are very uh small movies like that a a one that comes to mind immediately is hellraiser the first Mm -hmm. hellraiser it's a really small contained film that happens in a uh fairly identifiable period of time yeah uh now this movie kind of you know there's what they call time cuts where things are sort of jumped and jumbled and you don't really know how long everything is in fact in that first scene he said you know i think the first words in the film are how are you feeling right and and she says didn't we just talk about that Mm -hmm. and he says that was yesterday and I think her response is something like, "Oh, I've been alone then," uh, and and so time has passed here, and we don't know how much, but it does still seem pretty succinct, no yeah. less within the film. It's a short period of time that all this happens within.
1: I think well, there's like a seasonal feel to it, like almost like a actually, there's changing's there's changing of seasons. It seems like in the in people's behavior and. And, and
4: everything. Yeah, that's actually a really good observation. I had never even considered at all. That I that totally tracks. There is a sort of uh, even uh, the acorns falling. Yeah. Sort of indicates a fall type thing sure. going on.
2: Well, and I mean, obviously, that's another one of the themes that's being explored here is the uh, the intertwining of nature itself with you know human responses and 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 you know how humans themselves interact with nature um so i think yeah like that's a thing nature is a character in this movie itself that's being explored so it's gonna want to talk or at least it's gonna want to give like little uh time shots of different parts of the season you have winter in the beginning You have spring, summer there when they're in the meadow and things like that. And then it kind of is shifting more to like a a fall sort of atmosphere.
1: I I feel like I think winter comes back when she's like, when he's like, are you trying to kill me? She's like, not yet. I'm waiting for the winter.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. She says the, what is it? The three, uh, what's it? have not Three, beggars. The three, the three beggars, beggars haven't arrived yet. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I guess I'll walk by back what I said about the time being succinct. Cause, uh, that is, I think you all have noticed something that I completely missed that it definitely does take place over a, a little more extended period.
3: Well, uh, I don't know. I, don't I mean the jury's that, out for yeah, me it's still. Like, it's okay. a little bit right. unfair, but because I like, mean for 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 like practical reasons if nothing else, they don't bring a lot of shit. They've got two pretty relatively <laughs> small bags. Yeah, that's
4: a good point, you yeah. know.
3: Um I'll get into <laughs> I'll get into an aspect of that a little later, but um uh I don't know that it really is that they are out there for an extended stay, you know, even.
2: Well, part of that too, also, you know, it could be that they're intentionally trying to warp this perception of time. Sure. You know, the
1: psychosis is seasonal and the, and the like implosion feels seasonal to me. Yeah. But like, I don't know if it actually takes place over like a full year or whatever.
4: Yeah, Yeah. 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 That tracks.
2: Yeah. Oh, we got another guest. Oh, Okay, come on in. You want to join the discussion here, <laughs> hey, Mavis? Is that Mavis? Yeah. Howdy, Mavis. All right. She uh,
3: doesn't know what to do with herself.
2: I did want to bring up because I, I I found it so that aria that you guys you know were wondering uh, that was uh, from a Handel opera called Rodolinda, and it's entitled "Here in my best Italian, lascia Chio pianga." Okay. So there you go. It's a, it's a, it's a handel piece. Um,
4: uh, it, it, uh, it, gave in the booklet, the English translation of that. Did it not give you that?
2: Um, was I'm not,
4: English. yeah, yeah. I could,
2: uh, it just says the libretto t- translates to let me weep my there. cruel fate and I sigh for Liberty. May sorrow break these chains of my suffering, sufferings for pity's sake.
4: Oh, another succinct thing. there. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Hey, so. that's a brutal
4: <laughs> title. Yeah. So let me weep. Let's just call it sure. yeah. that's yeah. lengthy. Yeah. That's
1: girthy. Um,
3: <laughs> so I in my goods I wanted to point out specifically that I don't know what else you call it. It's before the train hypnosis scene like the hyperventilating scene. You know, she's out of the hospital, she's back in um his care, and um she's having this it seems like a night terror, and he's trying to do his th- therapist thing but you you, just prior to that you see these kind of shots of out of focus you know like her hand twitching and the uh the pulse in her throat i believe and and the back of the head and stuff and then through all of that he's talking he's given his kind of i don't even want to call it that necessarily misogynistic but his very um inflated intellect view on you know all of these side effects of the grief that she's experiencing and it he t- touches on all of those
0: patronizing
3: yeah, yeah the patronizing right yeah and um to me that whole scene um it, it really just sets the scene of his character if if you don't already get his character from the hospital you definitely get it by that point you know
4: yeah i think uh I I think I if I recall correctly they call the, those close up shots they use something call it something, something baby maybe a camera baby I can't can't uh-huh. remember they, they talked about that on the commentary as well but uh the the usage of close mics throughout the film is is super effective in yeah. just uh creating an unsettling effect.
3: It really is. It's it's I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of other movies we've talked about before, like Session 9, mm-hmm. where you're getting this montage of all these dead things and then you just hear a real close, um, you know, I, I really need you to wake up now, Gordon. Wait, like Just the, the use of proximity, like mm-hmm. you're saying, with the close mic and stuff, that in this scene works exquisitely for me.
2: Yeah, there was some interesting sound design choices that I read about with this, like the sound designer, he uh, swallowed a mic and recorded mm. is basically his gastrointestinal uh, sounds Whoa. with the mic and used that as part of the, the texture, the sound textures.
4: That's extreme. It's extreme. very
2: it's, it's very Einster Zen bauten yeah. Sure. Its, it's approach,
4: yeah. They, <laughs> they also, uh, also, you couldn't see the shock on my face when you were explaining that, <laughs> yeah. swallowing a mic, but uh, yeah. my jaw was sufficiently dropped. Uh, I, I also had heard about uh, the music, they they used uh, only items that could be found in nature, I think on set. Even in that forest, all of the sounds that you hear in the music were made with natural items found on location. Yeah, man, so,
2: very high, sweet.
1: High,
4: how hip,
2: high how brow, hippie.
4: high brow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's
2: high How bad. hippie? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, clearly, like you know, we're we're talking about the, the themes that are being explored with nature, but also a big one here, of course, is religion he and she to me represents Adam and Eve. Yeah. This is an Adam and Eve. Cause this is essentially, it's supposed to be kind of like almost like a creation story. This is like Lars von Trier's like take on a creation story. The forest
4: so, itself is called Eden,
2: right? The forest is called Eden. Um, what I had understood was he's basically trying to explain with this story that, um, the nature itself, the cosmology of, of the universe uh, was not something manifested by God, but by Satan. Mm-hmm. Nature itself is evil. It's a chaotic yeah. force. Sure. Yeah, the
1: violence so. of nature and and the chaos and and evilness of nature, I guess, is like really.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, and really, I think like yeah. Well, I was gonna say, I think what's trying to also be kind of portrayed here is like the and Defoe character is like the rational logical individual that in that sense, he's that part of man that has become distinct from nature, whereas she is still a part of nature. She is the one that, you know, um, is manifesting a closer relationship with nature. And there's, so there's this kind of yin and yang sort of thing happening in that way as well.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think, uh, you know, in talking about Nature as Satan as a concept here, to me, the film presents that as a thing that uh, I would say maybe other people think. and and if if nature is Satan, the yeah. film is embracing Satan, right? yeah, uh, the the film uh, again, she to me is is the virtuous one the way the film presents it. Sure. And, and he is the villain, and if we're going to talk about religion and rationality, then he would be the religious and rational right. one, and she would be the evil and satan and i I do think that the film greatly sympathizes with her so so in a way, it's ridiculing the notion that nature is Satan,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, well, hey, I end I endorse Satan, and I do as regard. well. Yeah. So,
2: <laughs> well, that and that's another thing that I was just going to bring up because, like, Claudio has said himself, like you know, he has typically been very atheistic. This movie may have been his way to kind of reevaluate some of his own metaphysical viewpoints, and <clears throat> those of us that maybe have a lot, whether we're atheistic or not, if we are going to align ourselves. With what is considered like a Judeo-Christian sort of set of principles, there's some of us that would say, "Yeah, yeah, I, I sign up with Satan. Satan is the one that we should be more in line with." So, you know, again, there's a lot of different ways to look at this, I suppose. Sure, you
4: know? yeah, and and I that all resonates with me, you know, to yeah. to to say I reject the idea. That nature is Satan, but also I like Satan. So yes, nature is Satan. They're, they're, that all is valid to me. Uh, right. And I think if we're if we're uh, if I can kind of piggyback off of uh, speaking about von Trier here and what his purpose is in making the film, uh, I th- everything that I have read and listened to is that this is a film that he created to deal with his own anxiety and depression
2: yeah and
4: and that he struggled to make the film and did not enjoy any of it and in fact was not even particularly capable of doing a lot of what he wanted to do and lie relied on charlotte gonsbore and willem defoe to sort of take the reins and and make the film for him almost <laughs> uh, and and Charlotte Gosborg has said that that's silly and that she thinks that he did so much and he essentially has come back and said I, I didn't do anything it was it was all them uh, but I found this I found this great quote from him about that in this uh, long interview that I think was from The Guardian uh, around the time the film came out it was shortly before the film came out where where he was asked uh, to explain the film and was trying to tell the interviewer, look, I, I don't understand what this movie is about. I was just trying to process my anxiety and grief. And he said, it's a bit like asking the chicken about the chicken soup.
3: Oh.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, pretty good. Uh,
3: man, you know, metaphorically, I guess a nature walk did not work for Mr. Lars. Uh, trier, here, but
1: he definitely does present nature as like the virtuous, even though it's like very destructive, it's chaos. And so, yeah. like, you know, Charlotte's character is very destructive. I mean, she's like pretty, she's like attacking pretty much like the whole time, yeah, she's- like, to me, which isn't very common. I don't feel like there's that many movies that have a female that is like that hostile hostile yeah
3: so we were talking about this and actually this is this is a good perfect round table can you guys think now talking about where in movies are women as violent as um her character is like in my, in my I, I, thing that comes to mind immediately is like miss 45, right? Yeah.
2: Miss 45 right there,
3: you know? Um, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank because, you know, you'd say like something like monster. Well, monsters out. That's a real true story. Um, I
2: spit on your grave.
3: Yeah. But that's, you know, that's like a very much reactionary tale because mm-hmm. it's a revenge Kind of deal. I, right. I well, see. Is, is is re- it's not that. Yeah. Yeah. This is that's, kind of a revenge you know, tale as well. I guess it's just how it rolls out. It's like she's. I
1: think, yeah. I think it is because it's like, it's almost like a virtuous portrayal of this like violence or something.
4: Yeah. But- to, to me, the, if, if you want to make it as succinct and uh spanning at the same time as possible it's it's about a woman fighting against misogyny uh the 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 violence that has been enacted upon her and she chooses to take up that violence for herself and enact it upon her uh for lack of a better term her abuser sure
2: well, yeah, and also the way I kind of look at it too is if we're going to tie it in with this whole, you know, a- analysis of nature and what is nature, what is what is the the, uh, I guess, uh, what are is the metaphysics of nature and what where does it sit within its relationship to, to humanity? Is the thing is like again like someone of a rational mind, let's say of a Western religious rational mind, like say if like. Uh, the enlightenment period onto now someone of a you know like again from a judeo-christian perspective um would consider nature again to be chaotic whereas nature actually functions by its own internal logic that's the thing yeah. and so man western man and specifically has always tried to dominate nature just like it's dominated women and that's what makes it, you know, again, that's what it, how it appears evil. Right. To them. It's actually
1: it's, just indifferent. It's indifferent. Yeah. It's I mean, again, it's like, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's,
2: it's doing do its own thing. thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and women to Western man have been typically seen as being chaotic, mysterious, unexplainable. So instead of trying to understand it by its own internal logic by their own internal logic by their own standards they've dominated it they've tried to you know keep it uh within its own self-contained sort of uh relationship or uh, you know with man
4: i guess you know are are any of you uh poetry fans Uh, t.s Eliot specifically
3: yeah i like t.s Eliot. Yeah. So, uh,
4: if you'll if you'll allow me this indulgence, okay. uh, these I've got I've got a, a short stanza that is probably my favorite piece of poetry that I've ever read. That is extremely relevant to exactly what was just said. It's uh, it's called it's from a poem called "The Dry Salvages," mm-hmm. which is part of a quartet on the elements, and yeah. this one is about water. And uh this will probably take me roughly a minute, I would say, may hopefully a little less. Well,
2: I'm setting the timer right now, but a so. Right. All
4: right. <laughs> and it reads as such: I do not know much about gods, but I think that the river is a strong brown god, sullen, untamed, and intractable, patient to some degree, at first recognized as a frontier, useful, untrustworthy as a conveyor of commerce then only a problem confronting the builder of bridges. The problem once solved, the brown god is almost forgotten by the dwellers in cities, ever however implacable, keeping his seasons in rages, destroyer, reminder of what men choose to forget, unhonored, unpropitiated by worshippers of the machine, but waiting, watching and waiting. Yeah. yeah. You no, see? I think that's Makes great. That, I mean that's that, what we're talking about. That
3: yeah. is the proper synopsis of this movie. Correct. Absolutely.
2: And and, and that concludes our most pretentious yeah, there, episode of Midnight with- <laughs> There you go. That's great. Uh, it's been great talking to you guys. Uh- <laughs> no, perfect. I
4: appreciate you uh, listening to that. But it's, it's, uh, it's one that's always on my mind and yeah. I think speaks to why I love this film so much is that's something that resonates with me very deeply, which is, you know, what you were just talking about there, Adam. So sure. it's, it's, uh, it's, that's, that to me is the central reason this is an enjoyable film sure
2: yeah we need to elevate this show more so thank you maybe you know you <laughs> might get a, a recurring spot here uh, well, well, yeah, you just here. might oh.
3: and we uh, might be getting you know reoccurring sponsorships from <laughs> daddy willems so long stunt
2: <laughs> got to move those <laughs> units <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That wasn't uh, uh, just a play on words there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Move them yeah, units. That's right.
3: So um, I, take I, I, I kind I of concluded that. my good. <laughs> I kind of concluded my good with just the general. I mean, I just put it down in two words the evil. Like just the general um, imagery and foreboding, like looming dread feeling where. They're talking about going to Eden and stuff, and then you just see a shot of the woods at a, at nighttime, and it's obscure and just the darkness, and just seeing that with with no exposition or anything just leaves me with a feeling of menace throughout the movie. You know, I mean, there you. When they're on the train and the little shots of their agonized faces that come through the nature, things like that. There's a shot
4: of them fucking in there, too.
3: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, (laughs) all of those things that are just kind of peppered in. um, I think that a movie like The Witch like that came with mixed reviews, I don't know how you feel about it, but those are the elements that that movie wanted to be as an entire movie and these are sprinkled into this and it it just really works to kind of like, if it were boring, like I have a, I have a uh, differing opinion than, than you, your first interpretation of the movie, Adam, but those types of things help to keep me watching, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: I think that some of the things that you're talking about is what solidifies it as a grief story to me though, too, because it's like, uh, just trying to keep things like just trying to be all right, you know. And then like right. you're just seeing like you know bodies cast over the landscape, and just you know this fawn spilling out of this like deer, and just like uh
4: yeah, yeah. The, the bird dropping to the ground, and the yeah. eagle comes. Yeah, and yeah. spirits seeing all this away. like imagery
1: yeah. that's just like oh.
2: Well, and I think, though, too, that's, you know, another discussion you can have is grief is also a part of nature. You know, the cycle of death, the cycle of birth. You know, we start with, like, again, we're intertwining with that first scene or the prologue of the procreative act yeah. right. of intercourse with its logical conclusion, which is death. Um. And so I think, like, again, like, those themes are being repeated throughout the movie, you know, to represent an overall greater theme of humanity, man's man, quote unquote's very, very, um, let's say, uh, harrowing relationship with nature. And, like, again, the woman is – if the woman is the one that's supposed to be representing nature, um, you know, again, the conclusion is the man won – Destroyed the woman. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, so we're continuing on this path of destruction where we're, we're we're not, you know, being seen as a species that is a part of nature, but we're outside of nature. Yeah. That We dominate nature. And, you know, so there's that whole, you know, the pagan sort of like outlook or whatever, an indigenous outlook that's, you know, that's trying to, I guess, take precedence over this longstanding european western capitalist idea that we're there to dominate nature that is our purpose yeah, that just... is our goal and we're just going to end up destroying it and thus destroying ourselves and i think like that's where like we can talk about like that final scene and what it's trying to say it's like there you have the therapist you have he after he's you know he's sacrificed his wife and then he's just being um you know, he, he's there in the woods and he's confronting that group of, you know, faceless phantasmal women. Um, I I think there's,
4: there's some sort of, you know, not only is it mirrored in the black and white and the, uh, I think the same, uh, what was it? Let me weep
2: Mm -hmm. song
4: is playing there. And, and you kind of have some sort of, Similar dichotomy there, uh, where he, he's finding the, the berries in nature and all that's good in nature. And while he's walking through these bodies everywhere, you know, before we see the people approaching him, you, you see him walking through the forest and these, these bodies show up in sort of a, a Hieronymus Bosch kind of painting right. way. Um, <clears throat> so there there's a similar dichotomy there as there is in the opening of the film with the you know the good and the bad of of nature because that's what we're talking about in the beginning too with, with sex as a natural act and mm-hmm. death as a natural occurrence mm-hmm. there's that similar good and bad of nature happening at the end there as well um, and and also, in general, just what we perceive as
2: humans as good and bad. Yeah, right. And, like, you know, I think maybe in this movie, I think, or maybe was, maybe I'm getting confused with something else where somebody, you know, I, it had to have been something else. Where were we, what movie was I just watching where, like, uh, they brought into uh, the discussion uh, Nietzsche's uh, Beyond Good and Evil? I know it wasn't this movie. No. But anyways, that's, like, also, like, appropriate, I think, for the dis- this discussion as well is like you know our morality uh that we've devised you know it it only exists and makes sense if humans exist. Right, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And,
1: so. and like just like if if you wanted to put it in different words, it's like control versus mm-hmm. chaos or whatever. I guess it's chaos reigns, the, the fox says that. Mm-hmm. But right. I, I I'm really curious about what you guys think about the part Of this movie that's like, it comes to the forefront for me for sure about when they look, they're looking at the pictures and they're talking about his deformed feet. Yeah. And like that she's been putting his shoes on the wrong way. Right. And like, do you guys feel like that's like a, just like an oversight on her part or like a...
4: Well, weird you, you, like
1: abuse or something
4: yeah i i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a sort of a whole element of of the film or a question that the film asks i think that we haven't touched on yet and and to me the question is what is real within the the universe of this film uh or differently put is she a witch Mm -hmm. um, has, has, you know, the first time I saw this movie, uh, I was probably very high if I had to guess. (laughs) And, and when I walked out of it, that was all I could see was that it was a movie about witchcraft. Uh Uh, and, and that what happened was she went out to this cabin to work on her thesis And again, I have a different perspective on it now, uh, having watched it a few times recently. But on that first viewing, what I got was she went out to work on her thesis on uh, witches and uncovered some shit out there in this insane uh, mystical forest called Eden Uh, and sort of, uh, I don't know, her, her... uh, latent powers of witchcraft were awakened within her, and and you know you talk about the the deforming of the feet, and we also uh, shortly after that I believe see a flashback of the opening sequence of the film in which she's watching Nick yeah. as mm-hmm. he is climbing toward the window. And she looks away from him and goes back to having sex with her Ugh. husband. And and uh, like the entire film, uh, that question of whether that is just her dealing with guilt surrounding her grief or whether it really happened that way is never answered. Uh, but my first viewing, I did walk out of that movie thinking that that to take it back to potentially her being the one that is speeding towards her own destruction. Uh, my first viewing, I, I, I thought, well, geez, I mean, may, maybe she did actually create some of these events through witchcraft and the child is some sort of sacrifice. Uh, I also read an interesting thing about that thing with the shoes that maybe she was trying to give him cloven hoofs to become the Antichrist. I'm oh. not oh, so sure I subscribed to that one, but just an interesting yeah. little piece of information that came about in the last week for me. Interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: I felt like it was like more subtle, like almost like, oh, these series of oversights and like just – self-indulgence and stuff that like leads to this like
3: well and she kind of mentions that doesn't she doesn't she vocally say like how could i have how could i have overlooked how could i have done that
1: like how could i have been fucking while my kids like just catapulting himself to
3: because like that flashback head. scene where he's crying where she's putting his shoes on it's <laughs> like, this, like is it. <laughs> this is pain this the pain you know and she does it anyway that's how i i see it more kind of on the nose that it was completely voluntary and that it is in fact real like, but that's maybe like just how so- i end-
4: i'm wanting to
3: interpret it
4: i don't know yeah i think the film really leaves it up to you and 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 uh you know i had in my notes that uh 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 i don't i don't maybe this is a time to piggyback into the bad but i had i had one thing in my likes and my dislikes of the film and it was ambiguity sure i i think it doesn't want to Answer those questions. You know, again, the the chicken asking the chicken about the chicken soup. I I I don't I don't think that Lars von Trier uh, wanted anyone to walk away from this movie feeling like they had answered any questions about it. I think we're intended to be having discussions like this. Like what what was that? What went on there? Was that real or yeah? Was that a projection of guilt and grief there? Sure, uh, but I do think that that is one piece of information that is definitively provided within the film is that there was an autopsy report and that his feet were deformed, and there is a photograph of his shoes being put on incorrectly. So, if there is any clue in the film, uh, you know, Krista, you've hit on it right there. That's that's the clue in the film that says anything about the reality of whether or not, uh, you know, there's some, uh, nefarious activity on her part. Uh, it could just be an absent mindedness. And, and I do think she does kind of say that at one point, like, well, how could I have let that? How could I not notice that? I, what was I doing?
2: So this is my take on all of it. Um, I think what it is trying to tell is because this is a movie that was created out of dealing with um, grappling with mental illness is I think what it is, is it's trying to s- say that she herself had these latent sort of characteristics of mental illness, which was leading her to do like simple kind of absent minded things at first, like putting her child shoes on the wrong way and like, just like, cause that's what happened. If you've dealt with depression or anxiety or even like in this sense, it might even be talking about some sort of like latent schizophrenia or a complete mental break or some sort of, you know, real like severe cognitive behavioral disorder that <clears throat> when you're in the throes of depression, you do things that are stupid. Yeah. And then when you're not depressed, you're like, why did I do that? Well, it's because my brain was literally like trying to destroy itself in S- a
3: certain way. Self, a self-sabotage behavior. Yeah. Kind of,
4: yeah, there's that moment in the film where uh, he digs himself into the foxhole right after all the fucking insanity occurs and all mm-hmm. the violence occurs. And and she gets a shovel and digs him oh, out and man, is kind nervous. of like assaulting him with it, oh, yeah. right? Like she's like attacking him with it. and And there's a cut there. And she, when we come back in, she's like snapped out of it. Mm-hmm. And she's really apologetic and, uh, you know, full of regret. Uh, Lars von Trier has this extremely questionable comment on the commentary there where it's the second time he's said it. And he says, again, that's marriage for you. Like, oh <laughs> my God, dude. Okay. <laughs> that's right. marriage. Yeah. For you, wow. Right? <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but, not, but not
2: just marriage, but also child rearing. There's also like the discussion that could be had about postpartum depression. Yeah. And there's things that, like, you know, again, because of. Of the effect that childbearing and rearing has on people and a woman you know there are you know obviously like there are studied cases of women doing things that are completely irrational and illogical to their kids because their brain's chemical imbalance has went completely sideways Um, so I don't know I think like if anything you could maybe offer that as a potential explanation is Because again, if you want to tie it into the witchcraft thing and everything, a lot of women that were, you know, punished during the witch trials or like were considered witches, their activity was merely that they were mentally ill,
3: sure.
2: And so that was considered like or attractive, or attractive or both. They were like mentally ill, attractive women. So you know, the men were like, "Well, they're they're clearly a witch. They're clearly possessed by the devil." You know, whereas like they probably had schizophrenia or depression or something, you know, that's like also a common occurrence throughout history is people that have been punished or put to death because they exhibited, you know, severe mental illness. And, you know, the church and, you know, people are like, oh, well, you're a demon. (laughs) You're a witch. Uh, So, you know, I guess that's kind of how I would look at it, maybe. I
1: think it's a good insertion of like escalation you know, like, okay, this, there's like this person that is not so mentally stable. And there's like this, this sort of manifestation of that where she's putting the shoes on the wrong feet and stuff, but it just escalates to this, like, and also because of this push and pull and toxic sort of situation that, that they have in their marriage, that it just like, Esca- escalates to the point of where she's like, you know, driving a stake through his calf. and
3: Sure. You know, right. Well, I mean, just, and, and what else, and... more than what you just said, what else brings us to the theme of self-implosion? I mean, all of those acts, none of That's those are productive or loving. It's spiraling right. downward to a, a foregone conclusion, you know?
2: But I think it's also talking about like, not only just like uh, the, the, he and she's relationship with one another and the tos- toxic aspects of that. But it's also talking about, you know, our toxic, you know, approach to therapy yeah. and how outdated it can be in certain ways and how also it's male centered, like a lot of things in our world, it's male designed. It's not designed with other people, white male design also specifically. It's not designed with a woman in mind. It's, it's, there it's, it's you know a theory and practice that's developed by men, that is trying to be applied to somebody that doesn't think or act like a man. So I think that's also what it is. It's like it's her reaction to being subjected to his form of therapy. He thinks he knows what's right for her, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I wanted to comment on uh, for the last of my goods before um, you guys can cap it off and we'll move on is I do obviously want to talk about how. Beautifully shot, this movie obviously is very, um, has a very dreamy, like almost painterly quality to it. And it's one of those rare films of that era, you know, um, that does utilize some obvious CGI, but kind of seems to work like the it just gives it a more kind of off kilter, kind of otherworldly feel to it. Sure,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I, the CGI in this movie does not offend me at all. There's Mm -hmm. enough artsy stuff going on in it that it just kind of blends in with the
4: morass of weird, surreal shit you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I did a little, uh, or I read a little, or maybe it was on the commentary, but that scene with the fawn hanging out of the deer, uh, I understood that that was uh, uh, mostly just composite, not CGI, like they just took the computers to put some stuff together, but Mm -hmm. that those were actually... Like they they did actually, no, they, they took computers to remove a harness. They had harnessed a prosthetic, you know, or hopefully prosthetic Fuck, I don't think yeah. that was said, but who knows with this guy, uh, they, they had harnessed the, the, <laughs> the fawn or the, the dough to the mother. Yeah. So that is actually a real shot. And they just removed the harness digitally. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was very mind blowing to me. The uh, the crow when he's in the foxhole at the end, uh, is is real. They uh, he he talked about how difficult it was to work with that animal and get it to do all the things that they wanted. Now, obviously, when he's smashing it, that's not they're not smashing a real crow, uh, but the crow that you see in the foxhole when it's moving around is is a real i think he said they had to use a raven because they're easier to train sure yeah. well you know cuz what i've heard
2: is crows they're union and ravens they're, they're 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 you know so sometimes you know their their demands are a little higher <laughs> ravens though it's like they ship them in and like they'll work for cheaper yeah, and, yeah. you know so i get it <laughs> 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 Anyways, does anybody have any other comments about uh, what they like about this
4: movie? Uh, I feel I feel obligated to insert uh, uh, another. <laughs> I realize that I keep coming back to the commentary and anybody could just watch a commentary and hear these things for themselves. But, <laughs> but a moment that, that Lars points out, uh, there's the masturbation scene at the bottom oh, yeah. of the tree. Maybe it's the tree of good and evil. Who knows? Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. he, they're having this commentary and he says, now let's, uh, let's stop a moment. We have to enjoy this masturbation scene because I think it may be in film history, the best masturbation I've seen. Hey.
1: Oh yeah. Actually. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Because, like awesome. I'm pretty sure that there's no boners allowed in like rated R movies. Right.
2: Well, that well, this is unrated.
4: It's oh, it's rated.
1: unrated. So that's yeah, and that yeah. is
4: that is real penetrative sex at the beginning. They used uh, porn actors, which they right. did that in *Nymphomania*. *Nymphomania*. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, so it's not it's not Charlotte and Willem, but it is real sex that yeah. is filmed, in which that is good. Movie. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, no, a, yeah, it's a it looks, big good to yeah, me. Yeah, bo- yeah. But
3: the, like, back to your masturbation scene, you know. I mean, it's hard to say anything in this movie is erotic because of yeah. how fucking obscene it is, but that toes the line right there.
4: That scene is fucking hot. It's pretty hot. I don't care how much of a piece of shit I sound like saying. That. Uh, well, man, well, I'll, I, I'll I'm not going to lie. i like, join you. It's a hot scene. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's, it's, it's a good, solid uh, – flicking the bean.
4: Yeah. Yeah. She, she's, she's very effectively doing what she's cast to do in that moment. I it's
3: very say. bestial. Sure. You know,
2: yeah. Oh,
4: yeah. I mean,
3: in the mud, in the fucking dirt <laughs> and filth, I just got to do this.
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Again, we were kind of talking about how all like the sex scenes are very like, they're very intense. Yeah. They're very violent in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. They're very like, you know, like very, at minimum very passionate, at maximum obviously extremely violent. Um visceral. So, visceral, oh, exactly. Sure. Um Krista, uh, did you have any more comments that you wanted to bring to the table, being the uh you know, the lone female in the room here? Well, Actually I you know what? Think. <laughs> 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 Fuck. What I wanted to say was uh Krista, you have the honor of being, I guess Technically, but not really the first woman on this show. Really? So, wow! Uh, four years in. <laughs> hey, I mean, welcome to the area. Charlotte kind, of, Charlotte kind of chimed in in the background mm-hmm. in a couple, but yeah. I just
1: can't wait to shovel you all with the, <laughs> through a foxhole. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Finally, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, did you? Uh, is there anything you wanted to say more about this? Ah, uh,
1: no. No, I mean, I feel like I talked a lot, kind of yeah
2: we're still sticking with a good you you have opportunity to like chime in another way though, just that's before it. we move on yeah
1: but both of these people are very like fun people to look at and
2: yeah <laughs> yeah that's one way of putting it they're 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 fun they're, people to look at they're, yeah. they're good looking couple yeah, yeah they're
1: a good looking couple and they yeah. they uh
2: but in, but I would say in like almost like in an, in a what would be considered a non-traditional way, like Willem Dafoe, you know, he's not a non, he's not a traditionally handsome man. Yeah, we were just know. talking
1: about like what he looked like as a baby. Yeah,
2: could you imagine <laughs> that, shit? What that baby look like? <laughs> Yeah. Whoa. Yikes. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, Charlotte, obviously, she's a she's a beautiful woman, but you can definitely see that she got more of her dad's genes. Yeah. Um, well, there's
3: a there, than her
2: moms and yeah, I, so. I can't
3: really pick her. Um I can only see her in this movie and in Nymphomaniac. And in yeah. both scenes, I mean she's kind of got the dark circles, she's got that gaunt feature. Where yeah. it might be even exploited more for these characters, I don't really right. know because I can't reference her from other movies. She's like, yeah, there's she's
1: like a musical artist. I'm pretty sure. I didn't yeah. know. That. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She oh wait, actually, no, I
4: did know that. I, I remember years back hearing yeah. some. Yeah, I, and her I, husband, I know some people too, that right? are like
1: pretty intense fans of hers. Mm.
4: Yeah. She does have a devoted
2: following. Um, she looks a lot to me like Patty Smith. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, totally. Very, Definitely. very much looks yeah. like Patty Smith to yeah. me.
0: Deep. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, so let's move on then. Uh, what <laughs> bads do we have? What are bads? What besides be- feeling bad? Uh, well, makes us feel bad.
3: I want to jump in here because right. I mean. Many of the goods are bads, but yeah. but they're goods in favor of the characters and pushing the story along. But I do have a bad that just pisses me off, and I okay. only have one. So I want to just roll it off the top here, and that h- – help me if there's more exposition to be drawn from this because there might be like an allegory that I'm missing. But his attire for being out in the woods – she comes out, she's got a parka, she's got a bag, she's got her shit. She's got a fucking rack of a rucksack and like a pea coat on. She's
1: got that rain jacket.
3: You know, a fucking city slicking pea coat. Like, <laughs> I know this doesn't take place in the Northwest, but it's supposed to. And me being mm-hmm. from there, these people supposedly live here. They ought to know that expect any weather. I mean, I'd go out with a jacket any day of the year. Summer not be damned, you know. You never know what's going to happen. Comes out in a fucking button-up, you know, polo or
1: something
2: and a, a pea coat? Fuck you. Well, see, here's the thing, my Summer's man. To die. <laughs> That's exactly how I dress for <laughs> these conditions. I don't give a fuck. I wear a hoodie <laughs> fucking all the time. You Rarely am I wearing anything like thicker than that out in the winter. I just you know, I just got to the point where I'm like the weather don't bother me that much. Yeah, well. It's got to be pretty frosty for me to put on thicker layers or, okay. or put on like some sort of rain fine, attire. Fine, fine. <laughs> and you live there now. Fine. Yeah. But... And I'm I, from Indiana, where there's way more inclement weather. However, so.
3: <laughs> I do not think this movie is trying to suggest larger points. It just pisses me <laughs>
4: off.
2: I mean, I,
1: it's fitting for his character. Yeah, it's I was. Fitting uh, for
4: his I, I actually, I had never considered this at all, and at all, and immediately, I was like, "Oh God, that totally ties in with mm-hmm. the movie where where she's like practical and knows what to do with nature." <laughs> And he's this you know he's
1: like whatever i can just control
4: it yeah exactly exactly he he just like thinks oh i'm this human business guy (laughs) (laughs) fucking idiot that wears a fucking (laughs) coat like that like what is this moron thinking
3: i can negotiate the weather i can talk it down yeah Yeah.
2: i can negotiate (laughs) he
4: wants to control it yeah all right so bow to his will
3: i just want to get that out because maybe more bads will come up as
4: you as we talk here but that was really it as yeah far as I got nothing honestly like I said earlier the only thing that I had was also on my Sorry. good list and it's the ambiguity of the film because I just I want some fucking answers <laughs> yeah. I just want to know man <laughs>
2: <laughs> spell it out for me yeah. yeah I was gonna say I don't really have any bad honestly like I was just you know I was telling like off mic that I took a very limited amount of notes for this because I felt like this is one of those movies that I kind of really had to be present for in a lot of ways, just to because I hadn't watched it in so long. I knew it was one of those movies that had like this robust ecosystem of symbolism and themes that all kind of had to be you know, interfaced with, so I I didn't really put it I got it.
3: This is a bad to me, and it's not anything in the movie. It's you know, the ethereal that surrounds the movie. It comes back to what you said about this being like highbrowed. The fact Mm. that it comes with a fucking book to further elaborate on the topics. And if you don't have the book, you don't have the DVD, you aren't in the club and you just left to fend for yourself in the Internet.
2: I mean, yeah, but that's that's Criterion collections in general. Yeah, yeah Criterion. I, I got my Solaris. Criterion. Yeah, I got, I got that same one right, right. there. Book. Well, <laughs> and when we
3: rented it, when we watched this on our second date or whatever from Movie Madness in Portland.
1: Yeah, we but, had that. They had that. I think it had the
4: book but, with yeah. it.
1: You know,
3: by and the I'm way, not-
4: uh, self sponsor, I work at Severin <laughs> Films. We just put out this uh, Della Morte, Della More 4K. It comes with uh, quite a sizable book here. I don't know. It's uh, 48, 50 some pages. Jeez. Wait a minute. Not a highbrow movie at all.
2: <laughs> See, I was going to say, I I wish I knew this going into this. I didn't know you worked for yeah, Severin. Yeah, I, sh- I should
4: have said that right off the bat. <laughs> I apologize for it.
2: No, no, no. Again. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, And also, the fact that you're repping that movie because that is another one we'll have to bring you back on for because it is on the list. We gotta talk about Cemetery to. Man, yeah, I'd love to. AKA Cemetery Man. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a yeah, but yeah. That's I'm, a real humdinger of a zombie movie, right oh yeah, there. Oh yeah. So oh yeah.
3: again, uh, as much as it is good, because I, you know, I lo- I'm kidding when I say that it, it's a bad. It's like, it's just, it's so heady, you know, if you want to go there, it's like, well, fuck, I feel like an
4: idiot if I was to watch
3: this and not have any kind of like, Further thoughts about it,
4: or something, and that that does actually tie into my one bad—the ambiguity. It's sure. like you know, well, like like fuck, man, just just hold my goddamn hand through yeah. this thing. What what yeah. is going on? Here, like, dude? okay,
1: what Bible story is this? Yeah, right. Yeah,
3: like, <laughs> I'm not Ed, right. I'm not a learned enough man to enjoy this movie. For it. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. Rewards, it's fruits that it that it beholds.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's good that we've had this discussion because um, I think it's helped me to clarify in my brain where exactly Lars von Trier meant when he was saying that this is like supposed to be a feminist movie or supposed to be something where he was actually trying to critique misogyny. Because that's the thing with von Trier is he is assaulted constantly with accusations of being a misogynist. So, you know, he's he's always trying to clear his name. And at face value, yeah, this is could be interpreted as a misogynist movie. You know, this woman is portrayed as a violent psychopath that is trying to destroy her husband yeah. and that she's evil or whatever. So, um,
4: uh, yeah. Sh- Charlotte Gonsboer, on that note, in an interview uh, specifically addressing allegations of misogyny towards Von Trier, She said, I really trusted him. That's also why I find it unjust when people say he hates women. I really have the impression that I was playing him, that he was the woman, that he was going through that misery, the physical condition, the panic attacks. Uh, Now, you know, that's obviously just one person's perspective, and I think it's important to include perspectives like, say, Bjork or Nicole Kidman, Kidman. uh, who who have very legitimate Uh. complaints lodged against him. So, so like, you know, I, I think if you find anyone that has treated someone unfavorably, you can find, you know for every one person they've treated unfavorably, you can find a hundred that'll tell you that they haven't done anything wrong. Well, yeah. and you know, yeah. I mean, I think this is a case
3: of you have to separate the artist from the art to some degree because I don't, I don't uh, come to that conclusion that this is just like a misogynistic film at all. And I feel like and I'm pretty open-minded and, and, and everything. When I watch this, that doesn't even strike me
4: yeah i i agree i definitely i mean you know in the same way that you like i said you can find people that will say opposite things about a person like we all contain multitudes like lars von trier can can treat bjork in or nicole kidman in a very unfavorable way and still like deep down inside have these perspectives about you know how how women should be treated and maybe he doesn't even behave that way and maybe that's even represented in the film antichrist itself right uh where they're well particularly charlotte's character is engaging in activity that she doesn't necessarily want to be engaging in and that she feels regret over and and in fact i'd say that's a large part of the film is 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 behaving in a way that you regret and dealing with the aftermath yeah yeah well it's funny too because so last night we had
2: our annual lasagna christmas extravaganza here at the the Blythe walker home but we had a lot of our friends mutual friends that you guys know uh we were having just this discussion about how messy and complex and convoluted people's own internal, like, characteristics are, but also their relationships with other people, specifically within, like, the music scene. Because we all have, we all know about these scenarios that are, you know, where there's friends of ours, even, that, like, so-and-so said that this person did this thing and they're shitty and they're creepy or whatever, And then you have all these other people like, no, like he's fine or they're fine. I have no issue with them. And it's just like being in like a very social sort of like network, like we are as musicians, you know, we're constantly having to navigate that, especially nowadays where we have to like, where do we, you know, where do we stand up for people? Where do we draw the line? Where do we just say I'm neutral? I don't know enough. I don't have the evidence you know, things like that. And I, I, I feel can,
4: like I can see that Krista has something to say here. I, I've <laughs> I've seen it through this whole discussion and I would love to hear her perspective on anything we've been talking about for the past five minutes here. Sure.
1: Oh, um, yeah, I don't know about all that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, you I, 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 was, contemplative. I, I was
1: like thinking about this one really, um, questionable like interview that i saw lars von trier uh do with like i think it was kirsten dunst it was like a a melancholia interview or something and he's like saying something about how like you know nazis really had it all (laughs) figured out or something like he's just saying something like super uh questionable but i don't know like he's subversive at, at at I don't know. I'm I like really a neutral kind of person because I do I do things that I feel like maybe people think are questionable or whatever, and I don't think it should be. Um.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. Well, I here's what I have to say with the whole thing with large fine too is. His interactions with Nicole Kidman and Bjork also were done when he was a younger man. So, you know, that's the thing with these sort of questions that we have about our interactions with people. Yeah. People can change. Yeah.
1: I feel like, yeah. People make mistakes. Yeah. People People make make mistakes. mistakes.
2: And so, you know, I think like people should have a chance to redeem themselves or also show that they have grown as a person, that their perspectives have changed. I never, as far as the Nazi comment, I haven't read that, but I will say this, as somebody who makes a lot of, like, poor-taste jokes, things can be taken out of context. Yes. So yeah. if you're, like, with your friends or even, like, or you're like, I made a joke that has something to do with Nazis. <laughs> yeah. I'm clearly not a Nazi. Yeah. I'm making a, a, a black humor-related joke. Somebody else could be like, that guy... He must be a Nazi, yeah. or right. he's you know he, you know because it can be completely taken out of that contact. is
4: basically what what happened. And Chris, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot <laughs> there. <like that. laughs> okay. uh, like, uh, people
1: there, make mistakes.
4: Yeah, there, there is there, that. Is exactly what happened. I'm trying to like find the the quote. Like he, it was uh, it was mel- melancholia, and I think it was yeah, it was a can or is it cans? I don't know.
0: Yeah. It was con. Con. con con. All right, it was a cunt. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. so
4: uh, he, he 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 said, uh, <clears throat> "I thought I was a Jew for a long time and was very happy being a Jew. Then it turned out I was not a Jew. I found out that I was really a Nazi, which also gave me some pleasure."
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so- I just I just remember like watching the video and and seeing like Kirsten. Dunst react to it. Trying like, to this, stop
4: him. Like, like dude, shut ooh. up. <laughs> like, shut up, man. Nobody uh, thinks think... this is funny, but you dude. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. With yeah.
3: this podcast, you know, me and Adam weekly are, it's like, we're asking to get canceled for something. You know? Well, I mean, like, I just
4: read that and everybody kind of laughed. Right? So, so <laughs> but, I think that says something, you know, like sure. we're the, we're the type of people that joke was, was for now. I myself, would I have made that joke? I, Probably not. You know, I'd say just how about no, I wouldn't. Uh, But I I have a lot of friends who would make jokes like that. And, you know, uh, maybe sometimes I'm like, I wish you wouldn't make that joke. Uh, Maybe once in a while. I think it's funny. Uh, You know, it just depends on the severity and the context. And this guy just decided to say it to a fucking crowd of people. Right, and that's the thing. When you
2: you know you're a person that your your life is constantly being scrutinized, you're a highly conspicuous public figure, artist, whatever. Like that's the thing. Like there's there's so much that you have to like be conscious about. As like you know, well, if I say this one thing, is it you know? And sometimes it's even like you'll say something that you think is perfectly safe, but somebody, I mean, you've read the comments on social media or anything. You do you read anything on the internet, like, and there's so many wild, varying, off-base takes yeah. on things that to me, I will read something, and I'll be like, This is a pretty cut and dry sort of like statement or post. And then you'll have people in the comments that are just like flipping out and you're like where did you get that yes. from this like I just well, like
3: <laughs> I mean the other part of it is you could you could see it as a genius play on his part because man all the publicity right I mean, what like, were you we just talking like about it's off like, mic it's, yeah exactly. it's like
1: yeah it's like oh uh how subversive of you to you know like it just like reinforces his whole thing <laughs> right. that he's got going yeah, you know being I mean? a
4: provocateur yeah yeah, right, totally. yeah.
2: That's yeah. an ongoing. I mean, that's a tale as old as time. There's no such thing as bad publicity, you know. There's so many provocateurs or edge lords. Tell
4: that to Michael Richardson.
2: <laughs> well, he was one of those that I think was used as an. He was. We're setting an example with you, buddy. God damn it, you know, God there's always no, God damn it! There's, there's always <laughs> those. Am, am people I get ahead of things. Sorry. <laughs> no. no, no, no. But there's always those people. Like, because there's clearly other. Actors and artists and musicians that have probably said just as heinous fucking things. And you know what? They're fine. Yeah. Like, dude, like, um, think about some of the things that, like, Axl Rose said in the early 90s. Give me some
4: reggae.
1: Yeah,
3: think in the- <laughs> that <Taylor> in itself. <laughs> Unforgivable. The Michael Richardson thing, though, it's like, God damn it, Kramer. Why? i wanted to like now i can't like you i'm not allowed to like you anymore
4: you know i i i don't know if i really want to get into it i do feel like he intended for it to be a joke and just like totally fucked up well because that's
2: what he was saying he was like he he was like he was trying to take a stab at being what was considered just like a more like traditional stand-up comic And he's, he was trying to do like this whole Letty imagine Bruce if I thing. was yeah. racist, yeah, yeah edgy yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. And the thing is, like, he's not like that type of comic. No. He's 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 like a slapstick, yeah, comic. I mean, he's like a skit comedian. Yeah, he's a you know, his, on that. I, I
3: I I I buy his apologies. Like I watched his video sure. and apologies. Sure. They seem pretty sincere. And the fact that he basically excised himself from practicing comedy at all afterwards says something. Actions speak louder than words, right? Sure. But yeah. I, I mean, we're digressing, but I, yeah, get, I get the point of
1: – I think people make mistakes.
3: Yeah, people make mistakes and separating art from artists because I've never met an artist that was fucking on my level eye to eye about everything –
4: they're yeah. all insane. Yeah. It's I mean, a, like, yeah, you yeah.
1: watch this movie and you go, yeah, that guy is fucked up. Remember right. You yeah. Made this movie.
4: It, and that's up. why it's good. <laughs> sure. Like that, the, 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 you know, like fucking Michael Jackson. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, whatever. He no, up. he didn't do anything, whatever. I don't know. But like, I mean, most, most of the best art is made by junkies. people. <laughs> fucking yeah, like,
3: schizophrenics, you know? Yeah.
4: Like, like it's not, it's not your fucking accountants out there, you know, right? Right, writing these incredible films. And
3: I mean, it's p- partially no we, offense, accountants. We, partially, we are to blame as a consumer <laughs> because, you know, when you hear the story of it, you know, this person spent some time in the asylum when they wrote these songs or whatever. It's like, well, naturally, I want to hear that shit.
2: Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Yeah, there's a reason why I like Sid Barrett. Right
3: or Nick Blinko, or, you know, take your pick how many fucking Cretans are out there.
4: that Wait, have made Araberzum, though, not so much.
3: Yeah, right. you got to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. Sure. Um, questions.
2: I know, Brandon, you're always, you're the question man. Yeah, I got so, questions. Um, but before I get to you, though, yeah. because you're going to have plenty of questions, I wanted to leave it to you, Jeffrey. What questions did you have? Because I'm assuming you have some because of the ambiguity of the.
4: Well, yeah, you know, I did. I did sort of touch on some of it earlier. Uh, You know, the big question for me is, is, is there some supernatural force at work here Uh, uh, to to hammer on Tarkovsky again here, uh, both in Solaris and Stalker? We've got this sort of supernatural or otherworldly, as it may be, force that sort of brings your thoughts into reality. Yeah. Um, And I think that we could look at this as that, you know, in Stalker in particularly, we've got The Zone, which is this place that is really ambiguous as well and sort of defies explanation but but has a supernatural power undeniably within that film's universe uh and i think eden could very easily be compared to the zone uh, mm. and we could consider that when you enter this place there's some level of of your thoughts coming to reality. Uh, But the film does not really answer that. And so for me, that's the big question of the movie is, is, is Eden supernatural or is this all in, in both of their minds?
3: Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's again, like many of the questions in our questionable, completely unanswerable, probably by design. But, um, if, if you were asking the group, I, I am erring on the side of that is happening because the rational mind, you know, the man, his, he gets talked to by a fucking fox. Like, and it just, he just accepts it as from what we see, if that even happens, you know? So... Uh, I think that there's got to be some kind of level of supernatural, um, a supernatural kind of sheen going on here,
4: something that helps kind of push the malevolence a little bit. I have a a bullet pointed list in favor of what you were saying there. Uh, And the the first (laughs) thing on it is, is the Fox talking Uh, the, the wind plays a big factor in this for me, Uh, both, both when the the deer and the Fox, which are are grief and pain respectively, uh, when they appear, there is, there's a gust of wind before he discovers them mm-hmm. and and later in the film we we're revisited by that gust of wind i believe it's when charlotte gonzbor says something about uh nature is satan's church yep. and there's yeah. a gust of wind in through the window and and i think she says see uh so there there there's this gust of wind that recurs throughout the film that to me sort of indicates the presence of something supernatural uh there's a a moment when he goes into the attic and discovers all of her writings and he picks up the gynocide book yeah uh and and it cuts to the trees outside and and multiple limbs on this tree break and fall uh Uh, there's, uh, the crow in the foxhole at the end, uh, who won't shut up and won't die. No matter what he does, he's clear. Any normal animal would have died the first time he assaulted this animal. And it, it does not. Uh, there is the discussion of, of hail, that happens at one point in the film. Uh, I've got it pulled up here. I think exactly what is said. Yeah. It's, a. Uh, uh, at one point she whispers in his ear about her studies while they're having sex. She says the sisters from Radisbon mm. could start a hailstorm, mm-hmm. which is a, a direct quotation from the Malleus Maleficarum, also known as the witch's hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, there's a moment where she just screams this pure rage and agony and it begins hailing right after that. And if there's any questions left after he kills her, he carries her out and puts her on a pile of wood and burns her. Sure. Like a witch. Like a pyre, a uh, stake. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that last point honestly is as clear as the other points I've mentioned, but in conjunction with everything else, I think the the movie is clearly pointing you towards a certain thing there.
1: Which, which story?
4: I'm I'm yeah. I'm sold. I mean, yeah. I'm convinced yeah. that that is kind of a a
3: strong element within it.
4: Yeah, um, but you know uh clearly pointing in a direction is not the same thing as definitively answering a question. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still left open, I think.
3: Uh all right, very good. Um Adam.
2: I'm gonna leave it up to you, man. I know you've got plenty of questions. Alright,
3: so I uh, Adam knows me to be very pedantic, <laughs> specific with just like plot problems, little things. Some of these, about- I would
2: say, pedantic to a fault. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I, I've listened. Perhaps. I know, yeah.
3: but but uh, that aside, some of these are actual, you know, questions to posit. So my, I usually put them in chronological as I'm watching the movie. So, did the child Nick? Did he slip or did he f- jump? That's a that's a good question. That's a question that I asked. The yeah, first the first thing that I he, thought well i mean because
4: (laughs) think about it like this i'm so fucking sick of life man
3: (laughs) well they're fucking he has intended getting out of the bed in in a way that it's like he has intention in his mind already you know jumps out of bed he's watching his parents boned
4: which and they are ignoring him they seem to have turned the baby monitor off yes
3: he's shaved yeah right yeah? And he's watching them <laughs> fucking bone and he turns around and his face to me is like, fuck this. Pushes that chair to the window. Out he goes. Now, he doesn't fall face first like he would tripped. You know, he doesn't fall. When you see him falling out the window, his head's kind of tipping back. His whole body is the posture like is like maybe himself. he slipped yeah but it's yeah. hard to say that he didn't just hop out. I mean he's got his feet are on backwards you know <laughs> I mean his if his fucking mom did this shit to him maybe in his one year old mind he went I want to see what else what else is out there out that window yeah so yeah
4: this shit sucks
3: yeah this shit sucks yeah. I mean just boning in front of me. what the fuck So that's my question and it leads into my next question. Who has this kind of fucking knock-down, drag-out sex? Like, you see it in movies. This passionate smash against the wall, breaking shit. I have never once in my life come to this possibility of this, like, ravenous, hostile lovemaking. Um I don't know. Can, maybe it exists. Can I, out I, there. can I
4: throw another quote from von Trier in here? Oh, sh- Please do. <laughs> the reason why these people—he's talking about a uh, violence—and uh, and then he just begins talking about people who hurt themselves. The reason why these people cut themselves—I wonder if he's referring to himself, by the way—is because, and maybe the same reason for her asking him to hit her mm. is that that's a controllable pain. And it distracts you from the uncontrollable greater pain.
3: Okay, words of wisdom, but why smash the fucking toothbrush? Go knock the water. I mean, that's just shit. You're going to clean up later. You know what I mean? Blood on
4: the toilet yeah. from your forehead.
1: God
3: yeah.
4: damn.
1: Um, so if you have if you have <laughs> tragedy in your life, it just makes you a masochist. Is that
4: the? That's that's what von Trier says.
3: Yeah, I don't know. You know, I have. I have wondered that for a long time. Does this fucking knock around passion exist? It's never existed in my, you know, life. Uh over twenty years of
4: you know fucking A little a little light choking, <sighs> perhaps. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well Maybe
1: you just need Daddy Willems so long son.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean <laughs> I, I will. I will retort that yes, I think it does exist. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing is, von Trier was also exploring themes of like um, BDSM. BDSM, sure. Th- state of masochism with this. Just, sort of thing. I guess
3: what I'm getting at is, I know. I think mo- more, more than this scene in this movie, I think more of like 80s, 90s, fucking buddy sure. cop dramas where they, you know, the. Somebody gets together, hooks up with someone else, smash it into the shit, fucking against the walls, whatever. And it's it's like a BDSM. It's it's like that is part of the – that's the kink. That's part of it. That is planned. It's going to happen. This seems like it's like – it was so fiery that it just – you know, the uh, artwork on the walls be damned, you know, whatever. Hmm. The holes in the walls, it's just what it is. I don't fucking know.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think that was – you know, it's – Theatrically played up a little bit more, you know, for, for, you know, certain like visceral reasons, visceral responses. Again, it's like this movie is trying to really like dig into like the trinity of like taboo bugaboos, sex, violence and death. So and it's like in that first whole prologue, it's really trying to wrap them all up together. It's like I was saying with the kid going out the window, you could like have. A discussion about that just being like the inherent death drive in people, the Thanatos, you know, like like that kid's working purely off of instinct. So he's not thinking about necessarily that his parents are fucking. He's probably just like, "There's something going on there with like you know the interplay of it where you know he's just like of his own, you know, like not necessarily of his own voluntary, An
4: uncontrollable like, inertia.
2: Yeah, he's just <laughs> like, oh, here I go." So, yeah, I don't know.
3: But when you think about it, <laughs> it could be that he sees his fucking and goes, you know what? If this is what I got to look forward to, I'm out.
4: Sure. No, no. Yeah. My dong is not that big. Yeah.
3: And it could have been bigger if it wasn't for <laughs> Daddy Willie's so long stunt dong. Um, okay, next question. Uh, he doesn't say I love you back. When, you know, she's having this moment of, I I don't know, to be seen as like clarity or false clarity when they're in Eden, she comes out and like, I slept really well and all this and I love you and I'm sorry for what I'm doing. You know, I'm sorry to hurt you. He just kind of like looks at her and lets her talk and then moves on to the next thing. I don't know if that's him trying to be the therapist, the professional, or if he just
4: doesn't give a shit about her. She, she even tells him he doesn't love her because he won't hit her. Yeah, that's right. Maybe I don't love you then. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I
3: did notice that. I mean, if he is truly trying to heal her and help her uh, attitude about things, when she says very earnestly and genuinely, I I love you, you just, that's it. <laughs> no, 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 you know reciprocal love coming back. He just kind of listens to her talk and moves on. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Um, okay. What What the fuck is going on with his handwriting? You know, you're looking through his journal. That's a self-implosion
1: right there. Handwriting implosion.
3: <laughs> yeah. You're looking through his journal and, I mean, it goes from like, you know, chicken scratch, fast, you know, notes now i'm writing double double the spaces now i'm just writing
4: with my right hand you know kind of thing wait he uh because that happens with the uh the gynocide book oh that's her journal yeah yeah yeah. okay that's one of the things that clued me into like something is going on in this place when she begins to get deep into the research yeah it it fucks her up sure yeah good and she's like like Possessed yeah. by yeah. this ancient power. I'm glad we That's talked about that question answered. Yeah. 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 The power of terrible handwriting. <laughs> the power of 15th century uneducated <laughs> handwriting.
3: <laughs> uh, oh God. Okay. Um. So this one, this one bothers me on a pedantic level. He. They all are on a pedantic <laughs> level. All right, all right. So this more than <laughs> others. He gets his fucking dick smashed in with a burl of a log, right? Burl of wood. Knocks him out. Understandable. I think that that was like very realistic, that the shock of that pain would just put you out cold. What I can't quite buy and I question is when a fucking hand drill goes into your leg, that secondary shock wouldn't revive him like a smelling
4: salt. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I actually am embarrassed now that I didn't have that as a point because I think that every time I watch the movie, I'm like, right? What? No. I had that thought myself. Yeah, you know, would definitely you know, wake up. You do know, Yeah, no way.
1: And it's
3: a little bit of a misstep on Lars von Trier's part, I think, of showing this agony, this agonizing kind of, I don't know, accusatory scene that, like, it could have been a window for more character development just by showing him wake up in his reaction. Um, but I, it is a question. Uh, it is a question more than anything. Like
4: seriously, yes. would but that I do, bring you back around? I, I do think you've made a good point with, I think if Lars von Trier were sitting here, he would probably have something to say about how out of it he was now, during the filmmaking and how that he does probably wish he would have been more present of mine because I I feel like he would probably even if he wouldn't actually overtly agree I bet you he sees that when he watches the movie too like ah I wish I would have been a little more aware of what was going on there sure I was just so fucked up with anxiety and depression that I couldn't you know that's one of those moments where it's it's probably Willem and Charlotte well, carrying this well Charlotte or do you think he, he could
1: be head. like. Does the drill really go into his leg? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, or is that weight metaphorical? Yeah, it's funny
4: because... What like, does it mean? <laughs> is that, the weight a witch? Yeah, right.
1: Uh, <laughs> is, uh, that's the, the indicator that he doesn't wake up.
3: That kind of like woodshed scene, I don't know, maybe five or ten minutes long, but I have three questions within that scene. So I'm in... Mean, Maybe uh, it's hard for me to 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 buy. It's hard for me to chew and keep down that there is no other possible (laughs) wrench like tool in that tool shed. I mean, I know that she, you know, it's a it's good that they show her take that pipe wrench, chuck it like, okay, can't find it. And he and it's good to me that he takes the toolbox and he looks in it and he can't find anything. There's no channel lock pliers. There's no fucking tire device, you know, and there's a sharpening stone out there, but there's no <laughs> wrench anywhere in the fucking shit.
4: Seriously? Should should have been a montage shot of her just like throwing various implements. <laughs> under Crescent the Ranch cabin. Channel this.
1: <laughs> <sense>. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. I should
1: have had that music too. <laughs> yeah.
3: So in that same scene, um, how does she get her pants on? So it's like they fuck on the floor real quick. She bashes his dick in. She puts the the drill through his leg. All that. She coddles him and then or cobbles him. And then, then she's running around in the woods and she has
4: her pants on all of a sudden
3: you bastard
4: that whole scene. I would chalk that up to a time. The time cuts I was talking about earlier Mm there, there in in, in the beginning of the movie, there are numerous time cuts uh, where at, at one point, like he's trying to comfort her and, all of a sudden he has a blanket that he's putting over her Mm -hmm. and, and that's because it's a time cut. This is, this is a thing that he's specifically discussed that, uh, you know, in a movie, oftentimes time cuts are used to indicate that the time has changed and they're usually, uh, used with sound. So the sound will cut, but they specifically omitted the, the usage of sound for the time cuts so that exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about happens. And it's like, disorienting and like what the fuck happened there right right so i think that's probably a time cut thing that's going on in that
3: scene uh, yeah and i could see that too because it's almost like a delirium she's just kind of wandering aimlessly you know donald duck style yeah. pantsless in the woods
4: yeah and um, that, that to me is that mirroring of grief that happens throughout the film where it is, it is sort of disorienting. And, you know, as she says earlier in the film, didn't we just talk about that? Right. It's just like, oh God, what, what time is it? What is going on? Where mm. am I? When is it?
3: What um, year? Yeah. What year? <laughs> yeah. What day is it? What year? Yeah, what
4: season? <laughs> right. Sure.
3: Mm-hmm. Um. So is he just like, well, her for this matter too, but especially him, Well, in Vo's character, is he just in shock through all of his, you know, torture that's inflicted on him? Because he's like handling the pain exquisitely well, you know?
4: Was that another Hellraiser reference?
3: Uh, Maybe, maybe maybe not. I I don't like to play my hand too early. But um, yeah, you know, he's got this fucking wheel through his leg And he makes his way into the foxhole when she's bashing with the spade through the hole with the shovel. He doesn't make any kind of like grunting pain sounds when he's inside with her after she pulls him out of the hole. You know, it's
1: Yeah, her her too for that matter. She just did some serious genital mutilation and He's a stone.
3: He's a stone through all that, you know. Is it is it chalked up to shock? Or it could play into what you're saying, like, does it even really exist? Is it really even happening?
4: I yeah, guess. The, the the sort of uh, dulling of everything that comes as a result of extreme grief, I suppose, if I had to play devil's advocate and try to find some answer is what I might go to. But I, 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 I'm I not so sure that's what it is.
2: Right. That was the thing. You brought it up. We completely glossed over the clitorectomy. We
3: did. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean,
2: (laughs) it's pretty fundamental. It's
3: totally fundamental. And it's, it's, we should edit this back to the good because that clitorectomy scene is fucking like so hard to watch. I mean, even more over the busting of the stunt dong, you know, well, yeah, because you don't you don't see that dong when that happens. Yeah, and you know, like as a guy, you're like, oh fuck, that would hurt. And then jerking off with the fucking blood and everything. But that clitorectomy, it's like her the pretensile, um the uh just her like cautionary <laughs> kind of okay, I'm gonna do this. Yeah, that like how, how, how her-
4: she asks him to put put his hand it, on it, yeah, you know. Right. All that stuff. It's that horrifying. Up to it. yeah, it's yeah. fucking it's horrifying. Very
1: disturbing.
4: Yeah, it's definitely I'll, I'll never forget the first time I saw that scene. It was just one of those. Oh, yeah. Like, Screw that. Just fucking happen. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's
1: the, I think that's the part of the movie that's like, I don't think I'm going to watch that movie again.
4: Yeah. yeah. Kind of like
1: like just like, oh, yeah, that's that one movie with the clue
3: that's the yeah. that is like yeah. right that is the well, thing that, that you would that's the buzzword
4: yeah. right there there are there are you know a number of uh movies like that uh where they have that that one moment uh anybody seen the movie burial ground oh yeah the, the and i know exactly what you're talking yeah. about I mean, exactly like yeah take uh, your pick uh, right cannibal uh, holocaust patrick um, still lives anybody seen that one
2: uh no, i mean is I that, the, that
4: the sequel to patrick yes it's like an unofficial sequel
2: yeah yeah um there's a... one that i think of uh when that scene comes up is uh did you ever see it's a short called cutting moments no i'll have to look. it's got oh. some really brutal um cutting moments yeah, in right. it but um similar <laughs> yeah. you know where it's like genitalia is being mutilated very very dramatically yeah okay so yeah like
3: i mean other shocking salo uh a serbian mm. film um mm. necromantic you know that like you bring that up and like oh is that that movie where she cuts her fucking clit off you know
4: yeah that's the yeah, you know, know buzzword for this i think for for me like uh <laughs> and please allow me to explain myself uh after i say what i'm gonna say but for me those are those are the sorts of things that draw me to a movie uh because it's not uh and this I don't mean this in like an insulting way. I totally understand anybody being like, yeah, fuck that. I don't want to watch that again. Uh for me, I'm fascinated by how people can pull these sorts of things off. Yeah. Like how how real that moment looks in that movie is just phenomenal to me. Uh and you know I, I that's a moment i study in the film not to that sounds kind of perverse you know cuz you're you're just looking at her pussy basically right before it happens it's a close up on her, her crotch right. and then there's a cut to a closer up on her crotch and it cuts uh but but obviously we all know in reality that's not her clit that's being cut off but god damn does it look like that is what is really going on in that moment and to me that time and time again seems to be the kind of shit that i like in in cinema above all else is is when they can trick me into seeing something like that and having that uh, not to reuse this word as we've used it a lot, but having that visceral reaction yeah. to something where it's like, oh my God, did that just happen? And it's like, well, no, no, it it didn't. But I made you think it did. It Totally. I mean, it's
3: Adam and I have had this conversation on this show in person many times. And you know, as well as all of us, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is about the suggestive,
4: right? Yeah. About the suggestive. Yeah, you in, hardly see anything.
3: Right. In this, you're seeing it. And you're trying to convince yourself it didn't really happen. So, I mean, that's like a hats off chef's kiss to just setting the scene and the props and everything. So, um, let's see. Okay. So, my next question, which I think we've already expounded upon, but was she already fucked prior to Nick's death? You know?
2: Well, that's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, exactly. That they're kind of doing flashbacks or hints that she already had some sort of monkey on her back kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, she had latent, um, you know, emotional and mental uh, illness that was you know triggered further by tragedy. Mm -hmm. Well,
4: and, and the the question remains there: like, was it was it the tragedy? Was she like that, or was it Eden? Right. Because the the only evidence that we get of that is her putting the wrong shoes on the wrong feet. And that happens in Eden.
3: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm not sure which one of these comes first, but they're they're both right around the same time. So what was the purpose of him breaking the floorboard? I know he had that advantage of finding the pipe wrench she threw under the house. Um, and then the, there's the crow that shows up via the broken floorboard. But why does he decide
4: to break a floorboard? The, the out? crow is under there making noise. So he decides to break it out to let it out. Uh, well, well, uh, yeah, the, I think I think that's one of those things that perhaps shouldn't be answered. Uh, uh, it, there's a uh, dreamy quality. To no. a lot of the movie. And I think specifically, uh that's another thing Von Trier talked about is when he's in the foxhole, how the way that crow won't die is like something in a nightmare.
3: Well, you and, know, it, think-
4: if you, right, yeah. and if right. Yeah. If you think about it. Like it just won't shut up and somebody's looking for you. Right. Or- right. Like the smashing of the alarm clock, yeah. like in yeah. dreams that you have. And <laughs> if you
3: think about it, the crow actually led him to something good. It led him right. to the key to break out of his fucking
2: Right. His,
4: you know, cuffs, if you will, right. the wheel on his leg or whatever. But, Which is an interesting point because at first it's like, oh, the crow's on her side. Well, yeah, he
3: killed the crow earlier. He tried yeah, to. Why it, the it, fuck it would was, he? It
4: was alerting her to his presence. Right, uh,
3: And then he turns around and he wants to free it after trying to kill it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Final question. And then I'll stop talking about this. Why does the fox have a collar and a bell Did you notice that?
4: Yeah. Is there? I I think uh, possibly all three of those manifestations are wearing something like that at the end. I didn't notice the crow or the fawn, but maybe that's not. Well, I don't.
3: I'm not saying that it's not. Yeah, I'm not sure. You hear it jingle when the fox comes in. I go, it's a feral fox,
4: right? Uh, So, so actually, uh, man, did I? Did I? I think I green chat i like to say uh so, so uh so there's this whole thing that i've learned about the animals in this film uh so you know there's a moment toward the end where uh defoe's character looks up at the sky and he says it's not a real constellation hmm. and then we see the constellation but uh so the this interviewer asks him where on earth i ask did the fox come from and uh defoe says from my shamanic journeys all these animals come from a practice i did 10 years ago it's a brazilian technique where you enter a trance through this very powerful drumbeat there are no drugs involved so it is very safe but very powerful and uh you know he goes on to say uh when i first went there i met the fox that you see in the film it was biting itself, and I was very shocked. It was un- it was unpleasant to watch, so I traveled on until I saw a family of silver foxes, very Disney-like, all the young ones and the grown-ups running around, happy foxes. And the guy said, well, what happened then? And he says, well, of course I go up to speak to the man of the family. Weird thing to say. Uh, th- this is where it gets really interesting. Never believe in the first fox you meet, it wow. said so he, he goes on to relate that to Hollywood, you know, the first Fox you meet, uh, sure. but, but my, what my point is that perhaps, uh, when he saw this Fox in his shamanic journey, it was wearing a collar with a bell uh-huh. is the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. I don't think the film answers your question whatsoever. Right. I think you have to look outside of it to potentially hope for an answer. Do,
1: do yeah. You think it's, that- it's
4: a, it's a, sim- it's a symbolism. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Do you think that very powerful drum beat was
2: like his huge? A blast
1: beat. His <laughs>
3: huge, yeah, a blast beat or his huge fucking member just <laughs> pounding on him from all that, you know, stingray. It's
4: ghastly. He's
2: blast beating a drum with his giant dick. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> there, there it is.
2: But yeah, that's one of those things where, again, like, I think your pedanticness sometimes maybe. Um, Gets in the way of just, you know, uh, appreciating the symbolism that's or the surreality that's trying to be represented in the movie as much
3: a curse as anything,
2: like when you're taking things a little too, too literal for the moment, too
3: close, right
2: but i appreciate it for discussion yeah sake. I, I really appreciate that you know it's like i it's a
4: thing that i noticed when i was watching the film and like yeah. many elements of the film i'm just like huh yep there's another weird thing but it, it definitely is a interesting point to bring up like why the fuck is that fox wearing a collar with, with the a red. bell on it yeah what
2: right or yeah why did he decide at that moment to break the floorboard yeah. with his elbow that like supernatural again, force yeah, I think it's, it's, it's attributable to the, the dreamlike quality of movies like this where it's, you know, it's there's a subconscious interpretation that could be, you know, attributed to it, whatever. Um, yeah, so all good, good things to think about. Sure.
3: Well, that's, you know, kind of unpacked it uh, for me as far as the
2: questions. All right, anything else then?
3: No, let's move
2: on. Yeah. moving on then we're going to move on to the back half of the show and uh this one we're going to um uh, we're going to truncate a little bit for purposes of saving time and also just by the nature of the movie but uh quotes uh who's got quotes Uh, i
3: got two jeffrey had mentioned it earlier nature is satan's church i thought that was real apt very good um, kind of synopsis of everything that's happening. The other one that I loved was the play on he he says, do you want to kill me? And she says, not yet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brutal. Yeah, those are good. Uh Jeffrey? Uh
4: yeah, I I think I, I may have like gone over uh everything in in the episode, honestly, uh, you know, I, I didn't uh, didn't pick out any quotes that haven't been touched on already. Uh, I, I do think that the nature in Satan's Church is definitely one of the high points yeah. of the movie. For yeah, me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I unfortunately don't have anything to add beyond what has already been gone over.
2: That's fair. That's fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just uh, reiterate what what you said with those as well. Um, body count, like I said, it's only one. We just lose she. Wait, no, two. Two, maybe, maybe. yeah, Sorry. definitely two. two. But, but yeah. who who gives well, a shit about him, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because we've talked about this before. We do count <laughs> uh, non-human species in the body Which count. Which is a baby. I mean, right which is a baby they don't even, they don't even <laughs>
3: fucking know shit yet. fuck them yeah.
2: <laughs> just a gelatinous
3: i mean he's never even kind of been of he's never even been in any other movie who gives
2: a shit <laughs> who you gives know? a fuck yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. dude fuck con- Does- fuck eric clapton's game. i mean, didn't have an imdb picture
3: right <laughs> uh, it would only make more sense if he was also a girl baby because who gives a shit you know <laughs> right <laughs>
2: <laughs> smash them with a oh, rock God. <laughs> they're
3: superfluous get them out of here uh, <laughs>
2: uh, but yeah so we have some animals that die yeah. we've got the fawn the fawn's dead and the mother right sure but so there you and know. there's
3: the crow that We see him get killed, but then he's not dead. So do
4: you count that? He comes back. And And there's the uh, baby eagle or hawk, whatever the fuck it is. that gets eaten by ants. And then eaten by presumably one of its parents that swoops down.
3: And then there's my hard-on that dies when she cuts her fucking shit off, (laughs) man. She was hot.
4: (laughs) The most (laughs) most
2: important death. I love it. Um, Okay. Trivia. I'm going to let you Who guys will...
3: take the brunt here because I think we kind of talked about a lot of it and there's a lot that could be said. So I'm going to kind of cherry pick in what you don't bring forward.
2: Okay. Well, um, yeah, Jeffrey, did you want to rattle off some trivia? Yeah, I mean, I, I
4: honestly had uh, a lot of, a lot of trouble. And I think at the beginning of this episode, you even introduced me to some facts that I had not discovered, uh, yeah. About this film, you know uh, the the nature of of Willem Dafoe's dong double, dude. I, I was <laughs> just wholesale unaware of anything surrounding that. Um, yeah,
2: in fact, uh, go ahead and continue. But uh, I was going to show you. Have has anybody ever seen Willem Dafoe's dick? I gotta see it. I'm going to send it in the chat. It.
4: Yeah, I just, uh-huh. I just didn't. Yes, no. I mean, it's babies. it's. it's, it's <laughs> it's crazy to me that he would want to shoot those scenes. Yeah. And the director would say, no,
0: I, yeah, right. Well,
4: Dick is too big, sir. Like, yeah. I, well, he was just cause he
2: just was like, I don't want my cast to be distracted by this too much.
4: So, um, well, interestingly, when, when she smashes his dick, there is a look of distraction that she gets when she sees his heart on, she's looking at him and then she looks down like, Oh, wait, what? Yeah.
3: It's, it's <laughs> come back.
4: Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Right. Yeah. So interestingly that exists within the film anyway. Right.
2: Um, but yeah, aside from his dick, do you have any other, uh, <laughs> uh, the Dick trivia, did you have any other, uh, things um, that you wanted? To-
3: I'll point this out that, uh, uh, Charlotte uh, Gainsborough uh, – you, you say her name probably Gainsborough. properly. Uh,
4: Gainsborough.
3: Gainsborough. Charlotte Gainsborough yeah. wasn't the first choice for the main part, and she has since played a leading role in each chapter of Lars von Trier's Depression Trilogy. So what would that be? That would be uh, Nymph, Nymph, Nymphomaniac 1 and 2? 1 or is, and 2, Is there I another? I'd – don't
2: melancholia
1: oh
4: yeah she is in that okay yeah so nymphomaniac counts as one one gotcha yeah Um, uh i i think i do have actually a little a little piece uh so when you get the three beggars you know uh you get there's an additional little constellation that they show at one point when they show all three of them it's it's a chorus and uh chorus which is a great word for Musicians, sure. uh, Spelled spelled different. I think in the movie they spell it C O R O U S. Uh, What I found in my research is it's C O R U S usually, and it's the uh, Greek spirit of surfeit and disdain. Ah, so that's something they don't talk about in the movie at all, Uh, but they do place it within the film alongside the three beggars. You
3: see, I told you. Jeffrey is a well-studied guest here, you know.
4: He does his homework. I I've watched the movie 3 times in the last week. One <laughs> time was to enjoy it, one time was to listen to the commentary. God, you are sick. The last time was just before this on double speed to do a little refresher and write everything down. You are <laughs> sick. You
3: are a sick I man. I do
4: love this movie though, so. Um, yeah.
3: according to Lars von Trier, he tried with this film to make a horror film but he feels he did not succeed. And the same happened to him when he tried to make a musical, and the result was Dancer in the Dark from 2000. Uh, I would absolutely
1: think that Dancer in the Dark is a musical, and I would absolutely think that this is a horror movie.
3: Yeah, I don't... I mean, again, this is according to him.
4: This movie's scary. So you know they willem defoe's penis oh let's see yeah, it on? that's what i've just seen hold on
2: <laughs> i put the link in the chat you gotta scroll down a little bit yeah to
4: to where he uh, looks yeah. like will forte dancing around damn, yeah, mustache. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah that's a monster it's yeah A yeah. yeah. man's got a hammer yeah. there for sure I'm his, telling his dick's you. bigger flaccid than mine is hard damn look at that thing I do not need the stunt dong. <laughs> well, maybe yeah, it'd make it look bigger. Fuck. I mean, there we do have different options with the stunt dong. Hell yeah. Can I get you the one that up? looks like Willem Dafoe's dong? That's what I'm saying, like, yes. There's pro, there's an well, additive for these the Never mind. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. I, well, like, hey, no, no. I don't I mean, you know. D-
2: Again, it's distracting. I guess
4: I see the point.
3: Let's just blame the over length, the over girth of this episode on Willem Dafoe's distracting dong. Uh,
2: Sorry, I kind of missed what maybe some of you guys were saying. That's why I was too busy looking for the dick. Uh,
0: Um,
2: Did did you guys mention um, that John Waters thought this uh, film was amazing? Um, He said. If Ingmar Bergman had committed suicide, gone to hell, and come back to Earth to direct an exploitation art film for drive-ins, Antichrist is the movie he would have made. So there you go. Uh, awesome, uh, you know. So it, to me, that's usually a standard for whether I'm going to like a movie because I'm like, if John Waters likes this movie, I'm probably going to like it too.
3: Yeah, he twirl um, his little spaghetti mustache at the
4: end. <laughs> <laughs> Um I'll Smoke a cigarette. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay, th- um, this is kind of weird if if Von Trier feels like he didn't succeed with this movie. In 2009, Lars von Trier described Antichrist as his most important film, the most important film of his life.
4: Yeah.
1: So... I, Something I, could still be important to you and you not like
4: it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Sure. Yeah, I think, I think that probably relates to him just processing his anxiety and depression and You know, even though it was a miserable experience for him, perhaps it perhaps it helped him survive.
2: Well, yeah, I say often like the very first tour I ever went on was one of the worst tours I've ever been on. But it was the most important tour I've been on. (laughs) You know, sure. So, yeah. (laughs) So it it is applicable, I feel like, you know, even if it causes in fact, sometimes more so if it causes you discomfort and you have to work through it and grow from it, then it sometimes is more important than just like the, oh, that was easy, you know, nailed it, whatever didn't cause me any sort of stress. Yeah.
4: And it's worth noting that, uh, I I think I wasn't alone here, that that was the film that put him on my radar. Yeah. Same. So so in that way, it was very helpful to his career. I, I imagine there are a lot of other people like that as well.
2: Right. Um I wanted to mention this cuz we have been given nods to a man uh <laughs> Ebert cuz he did say something you know that we found attributable when we were talking about uh bad lieutenant yeah. cuz again we we have this love hate relationship with Ebert because to me Ebert like as much as he's been a fuddy duddy or was and made a lot of bad takes Ebert was you know, important to me. I grew up watching Siskel and Ebert. I mean, that name
3: is a household uh, name and authority and (laughs) you know, film critique.
2: So, yeah, you know, he's definitely yeah, he's definitely um, made some very important assessments on movies that I think are worthy of it, but, you know, this is like what we were talking about earlier with this being kind of this alternate theology thing. That's what Roger Ebert said. He says um, Von Trier's version of these passages and genesis where man is cast from eden and satan assumes a role in the world um so there's that sure. straight from the mouth of Eve. Right.
3: i mean that's uh that is pretty hefty praise for such a fucking dud most of the time
2: <laughs> he could be a real dud um anything else
3: uh i mean jeff kind of jeff kind of dropped a lot of of the uh trivia throughout in context because it was necessary so
4: yeah we yeah. can move move on chicken I did wanna, chicken soup.
2: I did I was going to say I did want to make this one last point that I thought was interesting that you know Willem Dafoe did play Jesus also yeah. in the Last Temptation Solid. of Christ Yeah, you know how they say about how well hung Jesus
3: was. (laughs) Damn, damn it! If that stunt dog doesn't do us good in sponsorship, I mean, we are dropping, we are dropping some some heavy, you know,
2: influence here. some heavy dick Uh, throwing down some heavy pipe uh all right so now we got to the point where we got to rate this movie and all that stuff so we got to come up with our iconography well i mean come on we've been (laughs) it's right there in front of us so i think it's pretty uh you know pretty much there uh out of out of five stunk dogs that got whacked with a burl of wood Shit. and is spewing blood all yeah. over. Can we all be in agreement on
4: that? Is I that- like it. I think so.
3: I mean, if we want to sponsorship to, you know, survive, I think it has to be.
1: Or that stunt, that uh, stunt mini-dong.
3: Yeah, that stunt mini-mag.
2: <laughs> yeah. Forget
1: about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey, what do, you, what do you give this movie out of five stunt
4: bleeding ding dong. It's it's definitely a five stunt right. bleeding billy-dong.
2: Yeah. All right, all right. Uh, Brandon and Krista, um, what do you collectively give it?
3: Well... Uh, Considering it's a movie yeah, that we've only seen movie twice movie. in the span of ten years, that and uh, that doesn't weigh on it. How that, it's it's goodness. It's just fucking heavy.
1: Yeah, it sticks with you yeah. for sure. I'd, uh, I'd give it a five. I mean, like, you give it a perfect, a perfect five. Stunt dogs.
3: Wow. I I would give it a a four and a half, just to reserve from p- perfection.
4: So is that like nine it's normal dongs? Yeah,
3: dong. that would be nine normal regulation size peckers.
1: Give it four mm. dongs and a clit.
4: There you go. <laughs> four dongs and a little fucking Were you gonna <laughs> say is the half because it got mashed down? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> yeah, it, it got brought
3: down in stature. I'd say I'm gonna give it a four and a half. Would you agree? No, I'm gonna, five. A five. I'm gonna
1: stick with five. I'm
3: gonna a five.
2: She's giving it a five. There you go. It's right. I think, um, I'm on, you know, I'm just going to go with my gut instinct here, and I'm just going to say I give this a three and a half. And a half. Mm. Because I think I just need to spend more time with it also. Wow. I think there's a lot about it that's worthy of praise. Um, I think this is a very good discussion, um, and that's the thing that happens a lot with this show is the discussions can move you one way or the other. There's movies that... I thought were the bees fucking knees that I brought to this show, and then after I watched them and critically analyzed them, I'm like, actually, that movie's not that cool.
3: Hey, hey, <laughs> don't knock yourself too bad. Deadly Friend was all right. <laughs> yeah, oh,
2: that yeah. was kind of a bummer. Where like I was like, man, I love Deadly Friend. I'm like, actually, this movie's kind of stupid. <laughs> so I'm gonna say three and a half, just because I, I want to grow with it. Okay. more. Like a, a like a no, yeah sure. yeah it's. For this, yes, exactly. This one needs to be a grower, not a shower.
3: <laughs> like a like a pecker in the breeze.
2: Uh yeah. Uh so is this a midnight movie? I don't know, it's too artsy. Yeah. To be a strictly defined artsy. I, I mean, uh,
3: because of its content, even be yeah, even before the torture, I mean, if you were to cut out all the nudity for like a made for TV, it's too fucking heavy to sh- it might be a lifetime movie, maybe. <laughs> i think this is like a uh rc movies i put in like the 2 to 3 a.m camp this ship comes on or you think to put it on in the middle of the fucking night when your better sensibilities have been dulled and you want a little bit of masochism or something that's mm-hmm. where i put it that's where I watch well, fucking the Salos and the Come and Sees and the Schindler's Lists in the world. So that's where I put it.
2: Well, I mean, I watched this in an art house theater in Indianapolis at around probably nine o'clock. Yeah. So I'm just gonna stick with You're
4: that. A, non-
2: <laughs> a nine o'clock in an art house theater in Indianapolis. That's just what- a
4: solid eight a.m. quick two egg <laughs> breakfast film for me. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Give you a little pep do you before you head Straight out the door. Off, right? <laughs> so, all right. Well, um, Jeffrey, thanks again for coming on to the show. Yeah, I, uh, I would love
3: to burn more hours at a fucking live show just talking about movies like we typically do.
4: <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Yeah.
2: Um, but, yeah, this is great. Uh, uh, again, stoked to have you on if you want to come back on for uh, the uh, Cemetery Man episode. Or anything
3: else, really. Yeah, and
2: it's my pleasure. I would love to do that.
3: Yeah, it's great. It's an awesome time.
2: This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our outro music is provided by Hoomst. It's
4: provided by Goya. And what's the name of the track? The name of the track is Satan's Fire from the eponymous 2014 EP, Satan's Fire.
2: Fantastic. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at it, midnightflixpod at gmail.com or on the socials, at midnightflix. Um, we have not revealed what our next movie is going to be because we need to have some off-the-mic discussion as to what we're going to do. Sure. Uh, so, it's a surprise. Surprise!
3: It's castration. Yeah. Yeah, it's a surprise. surprise. Like you know, getting-
2: Active. Yeah, getting so. a fucking a milling stone in your leg <laughs> and waking up and be like, oh my god, I have a.
3: Where's my you know? whiskers? So, yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: like, so you just have to stay tuned. This. Yeah.
2: Um, also, want to thank Krista for sitting in. I uh, would love to have you in uh, for other episodes as, as like well. a
3: proper guest, sure.
2: She, <laughs> that's a proper. Well, guest. here's the thing this movie being a side piece just like a woman all right <laughs>
3: this is from on you. this yeah it's kind of spontaneous this movie was it has a special place in my heart because we did watch it on our yeah, it second our date, date. it's a date movie that's right uh, that's very cute so yeah she kind of she wanted to silently sit in on the episode anyway and listen to the discussion I was like, well why don't you just fucking talk
4: about it yeah maybe yeah. next time don't get a guy on there like me who's gonna talk over her when she's getting introduced. <laughs> oh, no,
3: that's perfect. That's perfect. It's you and, you,
1: you and your huge dog. Yeah. Hey, hey,
4: it's nothing pre- new, you
1: know?
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>